Hello, you are listening to the 64th episode of the Fun Filtered Podcast. I'm Jordan, that's Sam, hi, and here's what's coming up on today's episode. We talk about the first trailer for the upcoming Super Mario Brothers movie. I round up some TV, I corral it for you and I fucking review it. In the vein of Chris Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker, we spit on the corpse of Doctor Who. We sing the praises in a vague and all-encompassing fashion of Call Soul. We review Black Adam and the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Oh, look at that, he did look like a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> that was me with truly nothing up my sleeve. Right, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I got that. Yeah. Yeah, that was truly nothing. Yeah. Though, I don't know why you didn't say what you told me just before we started recording. Oh, no, because... How did that not come into it? Because we weren't recording at the time. No, but how, how does that not come up? Okay, so today is actually a very special episode, audience, because this is the 64th episode, and I said to Sam before we started recording, 64 is my favourite number, and I was ruthlessly interrogated. I don't I don't care that it's your favourite number, I just want to know why it's your favourite number. And I told you. I, I don't, don't disagree, I don't have a favourite number. Okay. So it's not like, no mate, it's 73, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm doing. I just want to know, it's odd for someone to have a favourite number. Yeah. In any way. I just want to know why it's your favourite number. All I know is, when I was 11, I think it Mm. was, I started a YouTube channel called The Ultimate Shadow 64, Mm. and I picked Ultimate, because at the time that was my favourite word. Okay. Shadow, because that was like my favourite Sonic character, and the number 64, because not only was I under the impression... (laughs) The three pillars of language. (laughs) (laughs) Words, numbers... And character. And and Sonic character. (laughs) Not yeah. only was I under the impression that you needed a... Because everybody had numbers in their YouTube name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh, you need one. That's just how it yes. works. But, like, I was thinking of numbers. I was like, oh, 64. I'm drawn to that. Right. I guess that's my favourite number. But so I put it in the name. And since then, I haven't Did you really... look at a list, like a Rorschach <laughs> Like a list of numbers. Did you look numbers? at a list of numbers and you just, like, you were drawn to one? It was like, it was your calling? No, I was just like, right, what numbers do I know? Five, uh... Yeah. Twenty. Sixty-four. start running out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but why sixty four? It, it right. Is it the is it the sound of the the phonology of the word? Well, that's something that I put to you just now, and yeah. you went. But most numbers sound the same. Not sound the same. But you you kind of went. Is it because it goes sixty four, sixty four? Well, sixty five, sixty five. I mean, it's yeah. the same sort of thing. Yeah. It's not because there are sixty four squares on a chessboard. No, I've never been one for chess. No, me neither. I think it's sixty four. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I think it's eight by eight, isn't it? Oh yeah, uh, oh, so it's go. there. It's eight squared. Yeah, and there's the Beatles song "When I'm 64." Yeah, and I'm not none of those. An fa- avid listener of the Beatles. No, so it's just although they did number. do a song about the Eggman, didn't they? I am the Walrus. I am the Eggman, or whatever they did. it was. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Maybe something is slipping through there. What's it called? <laughs> yeah, numerology. Maybe all that bullshit has some. Uh, <laughs> has what some numerology? weight to it. Numerology. What's yeah. this? Oh God, Ugh, numeral. <laughs> Dude, I know okay, if it's if, if I don't know, but if it's gonna take too long, that's fine. No, it doesn't. Like I don't know anything about it. Numerology is it's just it's the kind of I guess uh, yeah I'd be slow to say the study, but it's it's the kind of branch of thought that numbers have like a cosmic value or implication. Right. So like the film The Number Twenty Three, you see Twenty Three everywhere. What's Twenty Three okay. mean? N- numerology two. Does that feed into uh, it? Uh, no, I think that that's a joke. All right, that's in. Do you know where that's from? Right, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. yeah, it's the 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 meaning of life. Yeah, is the answer is forty two. Yeah, it's just like a what? Yeah. Um, no, numerology is like oh, it's all it's all connected. Like conspiracy theorists and stuff tend to be into 
it, it kind of over, overlaps with um, cosmology right. and horoscopes and all that bullshit. Okay. Yeah, like when I kept seeing one, two, three. Mm. Like someone would go, oh, there's something like in the universe. Right. There's not. As indeed you did. Yeah, but as a joke. I don't actually think <laughs> I'm being like, it's communicating with me. So it's just your favorite number. Yeah. Okay. So see, see, they, 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 they felt like there was judgment in that. No, it's in not. that. Okay, it's like fine, sure, all right there's, then. There's no judgment. I mean, my um, I don't have a YouTube handle, uh, but my some of my social media handles are Mister Reese of the Universe. Mm. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not judging too harshly. Okay. Uh, so we just get started. But you are judging a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Just not too harshly. Is this just base level Sam judging, or is this? Mm. Judging above that. Like, it, there is judgment more than there would typically be. As with you, it tend, as it tends to be with you, it's not that I'm judging the thing itself, but the absence of any logic for the thing. <laughs> right, okay. It's like, I don't care that you like, you, you have a, a particular fondness for corduroy, mm. but why? And then you'll just go, oh, I do. Right. I, I just want to. No, I, I don't care about the corduroy. Mm. I don't care. You know, I don't care that um, Scott Pilgrim's your favorite film. Mm. But tell me why. Now you could with that. Mm. Colors are intuitive. I mm. don't think anyone can rationally. You could write a paper about why purple is your favorite color. Mm. But, but numbers, numbers. That's where we draw the line. Is it? Kind of. Yeah. Because why? Why would you have any special affinity? For a number beyond it being like a birthday or mm. something like that. Because 64 is just nothing. Don't say that. <laughs> it's it my favourite number. Nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> so welcome to episode 64. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we'll just dive in now, shall okay. we? Okay, all right. Let's talk about the Mario trailer. <laughs> it is, I'll give it that. It's like infectious, isn't it? You have to do the Mario oh, yeah. jingle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's quite a good trailer. Yeah, okay, so Illumination Animation and Nintendo, I think they were both equally credited okay. above the title of the film, right, so right. this is a proper co-production. What does that mean, though? Because obviously, Nintendo, do they have a cinematic division? No, I, well, I don't, they, might have, like, they might have a dedicated one now. Okay. Or it might just be a case of, we were so, like, we stood over the shoulders of every single person well, who worked on this I, to make sure that they didn't fuck it up. Do they have a production company that has produced the film or they're just the money people and it's a Nintendo property. I think it's that. So therefore it's Nintendo Presents. Yes. I think it's one of those. Right. Because okay. I don't think Sega have a dedicated film division. Right. But their logo appears in front of okay. all the Sonic stuff. Okay. Yeah, so Illumination Animation, I think, generally speaking, they have very good first trailers in general. So what other films have Illumination done? They've done The Secret Life of Pets, okay. which is a great first trailer because uh -huh. it's basically what ended up being just the cold open for that film. Right. Where it's everyone's owner leaving mm -hmm. and then it's the pets just kind of like doing a little thing. Like a little... It's like a like a sketch almost. It's like, the, the, you know, the, the person leaves and then the bird puts on the TV. Right. And like flies towards a fan and the TV is like fighter planes. So it's like he's a fighter plane. I see. Going through okay, the, okay. Yeah, the dog, like, the cat is, like, doing maths or, like, whatever right. it is. It's like Toy Story. Like, yeah. what they do when the, yeah. Well, that's the thing. The Secret Life of Pets ended up being a Toy Story clone. It was pretty much, okay. like, beat for beat Toy Story. Okay. But that initial trailer, it was there were no allusions to what the film was as a whole. It was just the pets being quirky. Yes. yes. And it was genuinely like, oh, I want to know more about yeah, that. Yeah, I like interesting trailers. Yeah. Like, unique trailers like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Despicable Me, I felt like that had a pretty good first trailer. I don't know how much of the film it revealed, mm. but that was a pretty good first trailer. The Grinch had a good first trailer, I think. The Lorax, given how okay. crap that ended up being. Well, most of the films you've listed haven't done very well. Well, that's the thing. It's Illumination yeah. Animation. Yeah. They're not like... They're the money makers of the industry, but they're not like the big guys, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they're not the quality purveyors either. No, exactly. Like, when it was sort of announced that Illumination had been chosen to do it, it felt like Nintendo was sort of undershooting, mm-hmm. almost. It was Sorry, because like, I, I just said quality purveyor, and I now feel like a brilliant thing just popped into my head. Go on. Marvel are quantity surveyors. Yes. And then, like, you've got the Villeneuve's that are quality purveyors. Oh, okay. That's got to be a thing. Quantity surveyor, quality purveyor. Is that a impromptu lexicon? Because I haven't invented the terms, but, like, how has no one done that? <laughs> Carry on. Well, you're here to hear first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when you're citing this for all your uh, university articles, you can put fun filtered episode 64 how in the you, bibliography. What's the Oxford referencing thing for a podcast? There is a thing, isn't there? Is there? Yeah. It's it's not like you do it differently from books. I think you put the timestamps. Oh, right. Okay. I'm not sure. It's ages since I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. yes. It felt like they were undershooting. If I don't know if teaming with Disney or Pixar would have been like mm. the correct call either. Maybe DreamWorks. Maybe it felt like, oh, DreamWorks and Nintendo would be a good pairing. And do just you- in terms of like how big they are in their respective industries. DreamWorks, maybe. But do you think that... Um- because Nintendo are going to want to be the big name on the marquee. Yeah. So that you can't have Pixar and Nintendo. Because, like, right, which one is it? Yeah. Is it a Pixar movie? Is it a Nintendo movie? Yeah. So, like, Illumin- most people just don't know Illumination. And I'm wondering if that was the yeah. thinking behind the decision. Let's yeah. get a studio that can make animated films, and they make animated films that make money. That have no identity. That we can control. Yeah. Crucially. Because this does not look like an Illumination film. No, looks, the animation is yeah. pretty good. It looks good. Yeah, yeah, it's far and above what they've done in the past. I've always kind of liked Illumination's animation, mm-hmm. but I think they're like the, their actual character designs and their coloring and everything. It's a bit like not cheap, mm. but you can tell that like they don't have that Pixar level of quality. Yes, um, even if their animation is at times quite dynamic, the actual characters are, can be a bit bland to look at. Mm-hmm. This is not the case with the Mario trailer. No. But I, I, I do also worry, because you've got the money shot at the end of, of the landscape. Yes. Have they, have they just put the best stuff in the trailer? And it doesn't... The rest of it is kind of... Eh. I mean, it, it, might be, it might be telling that the majority of the trailer is Bowser and yes. not Mario. Well, it reminds me of the Watch Dogs like, playthrough at yeah. E3, where it looked great. And then it was just shit. Like, the yeah. driving and all that. It might be a case that, like, okay, we're going to put all our money into, like, the promo. Yes. And the actual film... Like, even the existing film won't have that money shot, you know? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I worry about. Yeah. I don't know if it would be as extreme as that. I don't know whether they'll, no, do, no. they'll go full Ubisoft and just outright... Yeah, lie. Lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, from that trailer, I can already tell Bowser's going to be the best thing about it. Yeah. And Mario's going to be... Well, Chris Pratt's performance is going to be the weakest thing about it, I would say. Yes. Because I, really, I don't really know what he's doing, Sam. We don't get much of the voice, do we? No. And I'm wondering if that was the... I get, like, wanting to keep stuff back. Because mm. Luigi's only shown at the very end, and we yeah. don't really hear him. No. But we get enough mm. of Chris Pratt to know that he's, like... He's doing the normal Chris Pratt voice, but with a weird inflection. A very weird inflection. It's like he's gesturing towards doing an accent, but not actually doing one. Well, it's, it sounds like 
anybody in the world doing a half-assed asked Mario yeah. accent. Mm. It's not. He's not going for the real Italian. No. It's, it's, ju- it's just like, he's a me, a Mario. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's like, exactly it's what just, it's like. It's just that. Yeah. Um, what's he say in the trailer? Mushroom Kingdom, here I come. It's really weird the way he kind of... Well, what is this place? Oh, yeah. What yeah. is this? <laughs> what, what is this place? <laughs> <laughs> but it is that. But like the is is what is this place? Yeah, it's just like it's so muted. Hmm. And I maybe don't know. maybe it was because they didn't want him to be like stereotypically. Yeah, you can't do that. No, and it would be weird. Yeah, but I don't know. Like we said, do do the Bob Hoskins thing then. Do like Italian American, <laughs> which would be funny. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, where am I? Where is this? And he looks like an Italian Italian American plumber. Yeah. He does. But what is this fucking place? <laughs> These fucking fuck mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. Bowser shows up. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Kick that fucking Bowser's ass. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but no, it's it's a funny trailer. Yes, the uh, penguins. The penguins make it absolutely. Yeah. And I, I I think that's all we're getting of the penguins, unfortunately. Probably. Yeah, that's like the, probably the opening to the film. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's probably what they do. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, I don't know whether it's like a good thing or a bad thing because I think a lot of their trailers they sort of pluck the beginning of the film and just kind of put it in the trailer. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's just pure laziness, which mm. is like, uh, just first two minutes, copy and paste. Or whether it is clever because they're not doing over-edited, deliberately cryptic. Well, I think it's good in this case because the sense I get is that's probably going to be the opening scene. Mm. So you get the threat of Bowser. Yeah. And he gets the thing that he wants. Yeah. And then also that feeds into when he goes, who is going to stop me? Yeah. In the film, it's going to cut to Mario's alarm clock going. Yeah. But obviously in, in the trailer... They use it as just, like, him entering the Mushroom Kingdom. Yes. They just put a little bit from, like, the end, the start of Act 2. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, So I think it it worked nicely. But, yeah, it probably is the opening scene. Mm. Yeah, Jack Black is strange, isn't he? He has all these, like, (laughs) layers on his voice. It's What's strange about it is the first line that he says, when he goes, open the gate. Yeah. He doesn't sound like Jack Black. But I really like that voice on Bowser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the rest of the trailer, he's just Jack Black. Yeah, yeah. Who's gonna stop me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is also fine, I guess, because it's not like I'm just thinking. I am thinking of Jack Black. Yes, but yeah, that beginning. I don't know whether that open the gate. Whether that will be what his voice will sound like, and they just haven't finished the audio mixing, mm. or whether that's just a weird anomaly in the film. But that was quite nice. I like. Yeah, that. I think it'll be consistent. I think it'll be like the Jack Black. You'll tell it's him. Yeah, but with these like. Like I said, these layers and these filters yeah. on his voice. Because that's the other thing. In the more comedic moments, again, it's fine. Yeah. When, yeah. You, when Jack Black's... You have the kind of versatility in his voice mm-hmm. by not, like, burying him under layers and layers yeah. of yeah. whatever. But also, it feels a bit weak for Bowser. Yeah. Like, it, Bowser looks like he should have, like, a... Deep, a booming. Yeah, yeah. Like, modulated voice. Yeah. But it's fine. Yeah, it's Everything fine. we've seen so far is fine. It's I'm, fine. I'm, I'm feeling generally positive towards. Well, that. I'm just, I just think the cast in general is slightly worrying. Like Chris Pratt, he's okay. Yeah, but he, he isn't. He is neither the harbinger for a film being good or bad. He's a neutral value. Yeah, he's been in mostly bad films, but he's been in some good films. Yeah, he's fine. It's more Charlie Day. He's Luigi, right? He is Luigi. Yeah. And the the thing that I'm a bit worried about is Luigi's always the likable one. Mm. Because he's the one that's like... Mario is just kind of this broad caricature. Okay. Like, he's, all, he's energetic and he's always positive. But other than that, he doesn't really have a character. Okay. He is just the broadest possible yeah. vessel for the audience. 
Whereas Luigi, depending on like what kind of game he's in, he's always the one that's given character. Right. So he's always the really scared one, or he's always the really like secretly the most powerful being in the universe. Like he's one of those characters, but they they have fun with Luigi. Yeah, yeah. And I'm worried because I don't like Charlie Day. You don't like Charlie Day. It's not going to be fun watching Luigi. No. But voice alone, it's not a bad casting choice. Mm. He's going to hit the correct register for Luigi. What does Luigi sound like? Kind of like Mario, but more nasally. Okay. So if Mario's (laughs) got... Mario's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Louis- it's a me, a Mario. Mario. Yeah. Luigi's kind of like that. Oh, okay. It's a bit more... Okay. Yeah. A <laughs> bit more neurotic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. Woody Allen playing Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Anya Taylor-Joy, I don't think you need a specific voice for Peach. No. That'll be fine. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. <laughs> not looking oh, forward to... Oh, is that? To, yeah. That's a thing, is it? Because I know okay. I'm going to be subject to Donkey Kong doing the Seth Rogen laugh. And I've, I think I've heard enough uh, of the Seth Rogen laugh. God. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But in the meantime, um, that is but a taste of our fury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that bit, yeah. that yeah. moment of the film yeah. will be good. <laughs> they can't spoil that moment yeah. for me. Do you yield? <laughs> yeah, yeah if the rest of the writing is like on par with that, where it's yeah. just like goofy, yeah, but not to its detriment, yeah, then this will be a good film. I'm hoping that like it can carry the quality suggested in the trailer for Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Oh, it looked good. Yeah. And it, was, and it was funny. And it was like, just speaking personally now, because mm. obviously I've complained enough about the Sonic films. Yes. But this really does feel like a film that is not like rigidly sticking to the source material. Yeah. But it's pay- like it's respectful of the source material. Yeah. And it understands the source material. Mm-hmm. So even though I think this iteration of Bowser is different from the type of Bowser we usually get, he's usually just a menace. Right. I've never, I don't, I've never really seen him in the in the games that have more character, like mm-hmm. the uh, the Paper Mario RPGs and everything. Okay, but just the standard Bowser, he is just this menacing presence. I don't know anything about like the characters. Yeah, or like well, I know who the characters are. But they I don't are know. so like archetypal, two D. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, they've kind of injected personality into them into them without completely changing, or so so it seems. Yes, without completely changing what that character is. And yeah. even if Nintendo have kept an iron fist around yeah, Illumination, yeah. it's clearly working for them. Yeah. You know, it's, it looks good. Yeah. It looks promising. But we'll see. We will see. Yeah, we'll yeah. wait for the theatrical trailer. Okay. Uh, I'll do my quick TV roundup then. Okay. Of shows that I have watched and now finished. Uh, so the first one is Bad Sisters. Okay. Which I think I've mentioned um, on the podcast. I'm sure you have, I yeah. said I would review it. It's basically about a. There, there are five sisters, um, grow, you know, grown up women, mm. and one of them is married to an utter cunt. Right. He's, he's abusive, but in less obvious, more insidious ways. Like, he doesn't hit her. Mm. He's just kind of. He's just a prick. He's like an utter prick. Okay. Incredibly unlikable, like demeaning, mm. um, controlling. And, uh, you know, the more it goes on, you, you kind of peel back how horrible and horrific he is. Right. But yeah, so it's it's a show from Sharon Horgan, who I really like. She did things like Catastrophe. And I have to tell you, every time I bring her up, she's the Irish one in Game Night. Right, okay. <laughs> it's that, that woman. That woman, okay. Yeah. yeah, in America, she's like, she pops up. So she's in um, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, over here, she's like a TV auteur. Okay. She's had like eight different shows. Right. It's an adaptation of, I think, a Scandi show. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's set in Ireland. And How the, Irish is it? Not that Irish. Okay. Not that Irish. It's it's kind of more... It's not 
set in like the city, but it's kind of a more metropolitan, worldly Irish people of the twenty okay. first century. It's not right. like you know, it's not the Banshees of Inner Sharon, which we will get <laughs> okay. to. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, so it's about these sisters, and we we know at the start of the show that the abusive husband is dead. Right. And we know very soon after that that the four sisters planned to kill him. Okay. And then the show is kind of playing with your expectations of who did it, getting every sister on board with why they would want to do it, mm. um, exploring the familial connections. It's just really good and okay. really clever and nicely written. Sharon Horgan's really good in it. Sarah Green is a standout. Um, Eve Hewson's a standout. Is it Klaus Bang or Klaus Bang? Whatever, the guy, the bad guy in The Northman who played Dracula. Oh, right, okay. Um, he's the cunt. Yeah. Um, he's believe, but it's believable malevolence. Like, you just know that, oh, he's... Okay. You, know, you just want to, like, strangle him. Yeah, he's subtly, sometimes not so subtly undermining. Like, looking through a phone, and he calls her Mammy, or, you know, like, the Irish thing, like, oh, Mammy. He calls his wife Mammy, which all the sisters hate, like, really fucking stop calling her. <laughs> the men in it are the most boring characters, but it's, it's not as a result of conscious design. Okay. Because everybody's interesting in it. Right. Um, so it's not one of those like, oh yeah, fuck the men. We'll underwrite the men. Okay. Everyone's good, but they just happen to be the least interesting characters. Okay. I would say it's the on- TV ensemble of the year. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, it ends relatively predictably. Like, you know, like the Hateful Eight. Mm. It's like, you know, going in, well, there's not going to be just eight. Yeah. You know, that there's going to be a twist. There's something like that. Where it's okay. like, oh, okay, yeah, I, sh- I could have guessed that was coming. Right. Uh, but it works well. Okay. So it's fine. And I, I don't know whether we know we'll be back for a second season yet, but if that's it, mm. it worked well. Um, so I highly recommend it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably my second favorite TV thing of the year. Okay. I think you'd like it a lot. And the theme song is a cover of Who by Fire by Leonard Cohen. Oh, right. Which is one of my favorite songs. You know that song, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So give it a watch. Even if I didn't, I'm sure you would play it for me in its entirety. Oh, yeah. As soon as we stop recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, see, it, it works nicely because obviously the song is about just the mortality, mm. and then because we don't know who killed him or why, you know, who by fire, who by oh uh, right, okay. it, it works really nicely. Yeah. Uh, really good opening. It's almost credit. like it's well written. Almost really good opening title sequence as well, which you would really like because okay. you're into a good opening title sequence. Love a good opening title yeah. sequence. So the second halt and catch fire. Yeah, which you haven't even seen. I haven't even seen, but it's one of my favourite title sequences. I find that really interesting because it's it's not one that I would ever like highlight as a. Oh, it's a great title sequence. I think it's just because, like, there's enough shows now that there are, like, tropey title sequences. Yeah. And Halt and Catch Fire doesn't have a tropey title sequence. No. Okay. Fair enough. It doesn't feel like generic Netflix. Here's, like, the silhouette of a character Mm. being panned around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just, like, or, like, from, where it's just, like, abstract imagery of, like, the location that the show takes place in. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know if it's appropriate to the show, the one Halt and Catch Fire has. Yeah. But it's eye-catching because it's, it's like, none of that. Well, Halt and Catch Fire, because it's got kind of that, that beat-boppy techno mm. uh, music to it. Also, it's got really good music, which helps it. Yeah, well, Halt and Catch Fire is basically Mad Men for the 80s gaming industry. Right. The 70s and 80s, the birth of gaming. Yeah. You'd really like it. You should watch it. Okay. But, okay, so we're not going to dive into a massive conversation about it, but what's the best opening title sequence then? Oh, Jesus. Well, you've, <laughs> you've, you've opened the can of worms I didn't now. think I'd be opening it. It's like, well, it I've opened the can of there worms, but we're just going to look at them. Yeah. We're not going to dive yeah, yeah. in. We're just going to look at look at the top worms Yeah. and just call it a day. Surface worms are my only interest. <laughs> right. 
Uh, well, Hot and Catch Fire is pretty good. Dexter. Dexter is pretty good. Like, length and all. Yeah. Like, true. I, it could be shorter, but I'll take it as it is. True Blood is really good. I think True Detective yeah. started... The first season. Well, I mean, the first season is very, very yeah, good. Yeah. And that is, a like, an eye-catching title yeah. sequence. But I think that started a tropey title it sequence did. trend. It did. But the f- being the first one of its kind, yeah. or the first prominent one of its kind, it was a good one. Yeah. Um, obviously, Doctor Who has had some fantastic ones. Mm-hmm. There's loads. I could just name you. But what's of the shows. best? I don't know. Most iconic? Is that what you're asking me? Not most iconic, because that's just I don't know. That's clo- I need to narrow it down. That's somehow. close to being empirical. Yeah. Um, no, best in ex- like an execution idea. What it says about the show. I couldn't possibly give you an answer at this time. Okay, well... There's just too many shows. <laughs> like, I don't know what to, like... Well, I think Dexter's a, a contender. Yeah, absolutely, Dexter's a contender. For best ever. And The Sopranos. Not not because it's, like, a particularly eye-catching opening, mm. but the idea of it, if you're, like, actually paying attention, of him driving from Manhattan back into New Jersey. Mm. It's like, they're not the New York mob. They're the New Jersey mob. Yeah. It's, it's a good tone setter as well, or mood setter. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Got yourself a gun. Okay, we'll drop that then. Yeah. I'll do my second TV thing. Okay. Which is House of the Dragon and kind of Lord of the Rings. Oh, right, okay. The big two. The big two. So, they yeah, they arrived around the same time. Mm. Um, they offer a kind of a good side-by-side. So, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Yes. It's Lord of the Rings. Okay. It's effects heavy. It's more expensive looking than House of the Dragon and almost certainly is more expensive. I think it's like the most expensive TV show ever made. Yeah, that was like one of the first things we knew about it. It was, it was, it was going to be the most expensive thing that anything had been ever. Yeah. I just find it hard to care about Lord of the Rings. Okay. Like House of the Dragon is concerned with palace politics and intrigue and heredity, whereas Lord of the Rings is concerned with world building mm. and evil. <laughs> Uh, I cheered because the people that I work with, the people that I play D and D with, yeah, sure. they're big. No. In- <laughs> they're big into all that. Um, no, <laughs> I've already had the conversation with them. The I don't like fantasy. Well, what the fuck are you doing here? Conversation. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to be friendly. I don't know. Yeah. Did you say I just want friends? <laughs> I tried to couch it in like a couple of layers of you know, so it didn't come across as so desperate. Um, but like that from then through them, I've heard like a couple of things about it, and so that's what I mean by saying like from what I've heard. Yeah, because um, I haven't been keeping up with like just general conversation of it. But yeah, like the, there was a criticism saying it doesn't feel very token. Tolkien? Well, it, well, it's ethnically diverse. Okay. Um, which the Lord of the Rings film series is not. Okay. Generally speaking, because trolls, or like they're, they're going to look the same. Yeah. Or have the same, you know. Like in, in Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, there are different ethnicities, but they represent different realms and different... Right. It, it kind of works. Like, okay. Because, like, how, you know, Game of Thrones... It's basically medieval British. Mm. That's the, that's the sensibility of it. Yeah. So everyone's white. Yeah. You know that's just the way it is. Lord of the Rings, like you've got elves that are black and uh, you know, yeah. It's just it's just a, a bit weird. Like it's clearly a product of the twenty twenties and not of right. any other time. Without hearing the argument that it was countering. Yeah. I've heard the counter argument. Uh, the amount of world building that's in this show is very typical of Tol- Tolkien. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff, yeah. Well, it's visual sensibility, but there's no relationship to the film series. They don't look anything alike. Okay. Um, to its detriment or benefit? 
Well, here's the thing. I stopped watching after four episodes. Okay. So I can't even review the whole season. <laughs> right. Because I just can't give a shit about I try. I try so hard to care mm. about Lord of the Rings. And I can't. Um, it's just dull. Just so boring. Okay. And I know fancy isn't my thing either. Like, it re- fancy has to really try hard. Mm. But I just find it so dull. Mm. And it just looked plain. And, and yes, it looked expensive. Like, mm. well done. It did look expensive. <laughs> and... You know, Morvid Clark is very attractive in it. She is. But that's all it's got going for it. And okay. that's not enough for me. You don't think it was worth having Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, just so we could see Morvid Clark in, in her various outfits? I mean, yeah, we but like, we don't have to see any more of it now. <laughs> like, that's it. We don't yeah. have to have a season two. Yeah. That's always baffled me. Like, when, like, adults watch things like, oh, I find that actress really hot, so I'll watch her in this. Do you know this porn? <laughs> Like, it doesn't matter how attractive they are. You can watch attractive people actually ah, having but sex. But that's the allure, is that I can't find stuff of her naked. Oh, come on. Don't like, pretend as though there's any restraint, self-restraint <laughs> in 2022. Everything. Oh, I want to think. Oh, I'll order it. I want, to th- I want a taxi. Oh, it's on my phone. Yeah. You know, there's no... Yeah, I, I don't think there's any of that. But like, So it's always kind of baffled me when people say, oh, she's really hot. We should go see that. Just, <laughs> just, just, just porn. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not encouraging watching porn, incidentally. I just it confuses me that people have that mindset. <laughs> right. Uh, so House of the Dragon, mm. it's better. Okay. Um, Is that saying much? No, it's not saying much, but it's it's better to the point of being a pretty good show. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, it's trafficking trafficking in the same ideas of Game of Thrones, but of course it is. Mm. It's as nasty as its predecessor, especially in the final episode. Uh, this child murder. It, it's keeping things relatively small and simple. Like it's a lot. The scope is a lot smaller than Game of Thrones. Reese Ephens is very good in it. Mm. He's a standout. It, it, it's quaint compared to Game of Thrones, um, which is by design, no doubt, but it nevertheless does make it feel lesser. Okay. Better Call Saul, which we'll get to. Yeah. It had different stakes than Breaking Bad, but it never felt smaller. No. They also, they reused the Game of Thrones theme song. Oh. I, I get not the whole idea of not fixing it if it ain't broke. But that, that, I found that really weird. Well, like, that, the show should have its own identity. Well, that was one of our complaints about Bly Manor, wasn't it? Is that the soundtrack frequently reused uh, yeah, yeah, songs yeah. from Hill House, which just invited comparisons to Hill House. And like occasional music cues that do, that's fine. Mm. It's because it's the same DNA or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like if, just, if, if House Stark, I, I don't know because I don't watch yeah, yeah, any yeah. of the Game of Thrones stuff, but if House Stark had its own like iconic Yeah, or Targaryen, yes, that's fine. Mm. But no, it is the exact, different opening cre- like credits, the same idea. That doesn't help. It's the same idea yeah. as well, but even that's smaller because it covers less territory. Yeah. So it's not even, you know, the continent uh, moving yeah. thing of Game it's of Thrones. It's just a town, is it? it it's, just, it's really small. <laughs> there's, there's the bakery, there's the little yeah, the church. Yeah, there's the apothecary. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's it's the exact same th- and it's just like, it's them saying, yes, we are firmly wedded to our predecessor. Right. And like I said, it's a great theme song. Like, I get they don't want to throw it out. But it's it's also just like, have some, I don't know, maybe the, the network insisted on it. Like, no, fuck, if it's Game of Thrones, people are going to hear that. Yeah. We're going to come in and watch it. Yeah. But it, it, it feels like low self-esteem on the part of the showrunners. Like, mm. you get to do your own Game of Thrones now. Yeah. And you get to carve out your own identity and place in the universe. Like, you, why would you want to just recycle mm. what someone else has done? Because, yes, it will invite comparisons. And it's not going to be as good as Game of Thrones. No. So, I don't know. I, I find that really strange. Yeah. But it's all right. 
Okay. It's all right. I mean, I don't love it as much um, as a lot of people do. It's certainly better than Lord of the Rings. Anyone that says Lord of the Rings is better is fucking nuts. Right. Um, and it's just adult. You know, it's, a, it's dealing with adult themes and sometimes provocatively and gratuitously. There's a lot of giving birth with it, like fucking, like Niagara Falls of blood. Right. But it, it's for grown-ups and Lord of the Rings isn't. So, <laughs> that, okay. that's that. And I'll briefly mention She-Hulk because you told me that I promised She-Hulk. You, I think you promised it. I think I might have. I really can't remember. It's just like, um, why would you not, you watched it. Why would you not? have the opportunity to vent your well, whatever I, you have about it. I can't remember if... I feel like I talked about it briefly as a coda to our Thor, Doctor Strange, Ms. Marvel thing. Like a, a line or two. I can't remember. Mm. But it was ongoing at the time. Okay, all I can say about She-Hulk, right? Mm. <laughs> it's taken the snarky self-referential thing to the nth degree right. with Marvel. It's the most that that they've done. Okay, Everyone's annoying in it. She's annoying, and I like Tatiana Maslany, mm. but she's annoying in it. Daredevil's in it. You probably saw yeah, the, yeah, yeah, stuff about that. And I think the epitome of the show for me was she goes on a series of dates, mm. all like white guys, and they're all horrible. And the only one that's actually interesting and interested in her is a black guy. A light-skinned black guy, but black guy, like he was the one that was actually mm. dreamy. And then um, they're going to go have sex while she's in like a She-Hulk form a lot of it is about her just having one night stands and stuff um oh right okay. yeah uh, and uh he's on the couch and she picks him up oh, right. and carries him to the bedroom okay i thought yeah that's in a nutshell that's what that show is that's what marvel's trying to do okay and it made me feel a bit sick and that's all i've got to say about <laughs> I, did, I did hear something vaguely from i assume the head writer mm-hmm. where she was saying like we predict three years before the show even came out, we predicted what the backlash was going to be. <laughs> right. And she was saying it in, through the framework of like, oh, look how pathetic the trolls are mm. and how uncreative they are, that they're always saying the same shit over and over again. Right. But I just can't help but think, so you knew. Yeah. Three years ago, you knew people were going to hate this show. Yeah. And you just went, fuck it. Well, it's the same. Like, we like it. That's what, like, it doesn't it's need the, to be it's, fixed. It's the Velma thing. They don't care about people, the fans. They care about being culturally relevant. It's, well, like with the films, yeah. Panda, do all that. The TV shows can be a little bit more, ooh, it's about the partition. <laughs> ooh, it, ooh, it's about female empowerment. You know, like every episode ends with a girl power song. Right. Um, I don't know if you heard about the finale. Where she, no. she breaks out of the universe of the show to um, have a go at Kevin Feige. What? <laughs> you know Kevin Feige? Yeah, I know Kevin Feige. Um, I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but she's like, oh, I don't like the way this story is going. I need to confront. So she goes to the Marvel offices and, and confronts Kevin. Kevin in this being like a sentient AI, K-E-V-I-N. Oh my God. Oh yeah, like I said, it t- took it to its limit. Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ, okay. <laughs> Have you not heard about that? No. Yeah, she shags Daredevil. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I remember seeing a clip of Daredevil doing the Walk of Shame. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Pretty much what you said about her carrying that guy into the room. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, okay, it's, it's one of those. Yeah. Oh, my God. So it's like, pro- oh, no. <laughs> yeah, trust me. After this, I'll show you, like, some stuff from that. Please don't. <laughs> oh, it's horrible, Joel. It's just horrible. 
When will um, when is when will this end, Sam? When's this gonna stop? Defi- define this for me. She Hulk scream. What else done it this year? Velma. Velma will be doing it. What else? So okay, let's just define exactly what you mean. So the using like referencing what the thing is as a substitute for an actual story. Right. Like rather than writing a finale for She Hulk, they made it so that She Hulk went to Kevin Feige and said, I don't like this finale. Yes. And like in Scream, the whole like threat of Scream is, hey, we're in a Scream remake. Yeah. One of us is the killer. Yeah. They're constantly talking about who the killer might be and like, oh, at this point in the film, this would typically happen. So yeah. let's do that. I think Mark Zuckerberg would call it the metaverse, wouldn't he? Yeah. It's not even, there's no magic circle anymore. There's no like, um, no, not verisimilitude. I don't think that's the right word. Magic circle is a good word, though. Where yeah. It's like that, you know, there's this ring of immersion that we all enter when we watch a show. The willing suspension of disbelief. Willing suspension of disbelief. And we're not even being asked to enter the magic circle anymore. We're just being told, oh, this is a show. This is a character in a show. She knows she's a character in a show now. She's talking to the guy who makes that show. Well, it's so These characters of- are following the fucking tropes and framework of the type of film that they're in. It's the sort of... Um- well, yeah, it's that. It's that kind of um, smart-ass deconstruction, mm. deconstructivism, postmodern thing mm. wedded to irritating novel ideology. That I think that that's the particular marriage that's yeah. so toxic. And it's kind of the artistic, the televisual, cinematic equivalent of... It's like stand-up. Mm. Used to be you went to a stand-up and they made you laugh. Now there's a lot of agreeing. Yeah. And now it's like you're not meant to enjoy the TV show. You're meant to applaud the TV show. Right. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm really immersed in this universe. It's, oh, female empowerment. Right. Yeah, it's it's all about the clap. It's no wonder people watch shit like RuPaul's Drag Race and Strictly Come really Dancing. It really isn't. That's the only TV you can watch anymore where it's, you're, like, safe. We used to call those shows insulting. Yeah. And now... <laughs> it's the only place where you're like guaranteed yeah. to be left but, alone but that's the thing like with Britain's Got Talent they even did it they even did the whole oh. Black Lives Matter yeah, dance of course <laughs> yeah it's um B L M Black Lives Matter <laughs> um yeah I agree um, I, when, when's it gonna end I have no idea I mean things like the NHS you know like they're under <laughs> okay. they're under a certain amount of pressure by the realities of medicine, mm. and if there are thousands and thousands of nominally trans children that are being mistreated by them, mm. at some point the forecast are clear, yeah, and they have to go. All right, okay, ideology is one thing, but look, we just we just can't do this anymore. TV and film is under no such pressure, mm. so um, I'm going to say never. I can't. I can't think of that. Like, noir films died. Western then films we got died. Neo-noir, though. Yeah, but yeah. that's fine. Yeah. I'm just thinking about what were the big prevailing, like... Because it's a genre at this point, frankly. Okay, so, so it, genres that sort have of died. Yeah. When you well, think of, like, the prevailing, like, oh, in the 40s, every, in the 30s and 40s, everyone made noir films. In the 50s, everyone made westerns. Well, that's it. I mean, no genre has died, died. But they stopped. They fell out of fashion. Yeah, so westerns... Uh, screwball comedies yeah uh, like Roman epics like yeah. biblical epics musicals yeah yeah they're the big ones aren't they um, that we still get sometimes like Hail Caesar basically anything you see in Hail Caesar yeah 
Um, we can't. This yeah. can't be the genre that never dies. What would you call the genre? It's like self-aware, but like a better word for self-aware. Self-referential, kind of. Because it's not because self-aware has a positive connotation. Yeah, we like things or people that are self-aware. It's hyper self-aware. But maybe that's the problem. Like, yeah. yeah, it's self-aware in the sense that, like, it's the characters are breaking the fourth wall and they're aware of, the, like, the construct of the thing that yeah. they're in. Yeah, But also it's self-aware as in it's, like, socially aware. It's ideologically aware. Yes. So it's supposed to have this positive connotation of, like, oh, look at us, we understand all the things that are wrong and all the things that are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really it's not, because it's just, like, it's the same... It's always the same points being made. It's always the same jokes. It's always the same punchlines. It's always the same, like, bits of filmmaking mm. that get parodied and referred to. And it's always the same ideology that's yeah. being spat back out. So it's not even original material. It's, it's, it, it lacks self-awareness, if anything, because they don't realise... Yeah, it's, like, inversely yeah, aware. They're like, oh, yeah. there are three films this year that have already done the exact same shit as what you're doing now. Uh, well, maybe this is a thing for the next Sam's Lexicon, but... The thing that springs to mind at the moment is hyper-aware. Okay. Popular entertainment. So not hope, but hape. Hape. And hape. <laughs> but I'll come up with a better one. I hape I, this show. I think there is something, there's something to the, self-aware is iro- the self-awareness is ironic. Yeah. Because outside the show, there seems to be none of it. Yeah. Or rejection of mm. it. You know, like, oh, fuck them. Yeah. Like, we'll mount a defense before we've even heard any. There's no, there's not even a back to lash out. Yeah. Yeah. Ideologically driven... Self-aware. Nothing like is sacred. ID else. No yeah. um, attempt to like conceal the 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 working parts. Yeah, of yeah. The thing. Yeah. Okay. I'll come up with something for next yeah, time. Okay. Doctor Who. Oh God. <laughs> God, it gets worse. Oh no. Speaking of ideologically driven, hyper-aware. Uh, or just hyper. Or just unaware, yeah. I thought I was going to throw up during those first ten minutes of the episode. <laughs> yeah. I told you it's... before tonight, we watched, we sat down, I watched it with the family, and yeah. we watched it as a family, and I think the, though it wasn't said, I think the general desire in the room while watching that episode is we all just wanted to make sure it was truly over. Yeah. We all wanted to be you sure. Just, you check this pulse. Ding dong, the witch yeah. is actually dead this time. Yes. And She-Hulk sounds horrific. It, yeah, it is. But I would, I would say that, like, from what I've seen, what, what even was the last one? The Legend of the Sea Devils was it? Was that the, the one before? Um, yeah, yeah, I think Legend so. of the Sea Devils. I would posit that that's the worst piece of scripted television this year. <laughs> I'd be inclined to agree. Yeah, yeah. This episode is slightly better than that. It, it is better. It's yes. still fucking atrocious. Yeah, but it's. Not as bad as Legend of the Sea Devil, so no. at least there's that, I suppose. Yes. But it's still been, like, a, a rough ride. Well, it's... The, the, the beauty of Doctor Who, in a way, for me, it induces a kind of boredom-inspired amnesia. Right. Which is, I never remember. Like, I could not tell you... There are things I remember about it, mm. but I don't know what happened. Okay. <laughs> and I, I sat down and I watched it. Yeah. In real time. Um, the whole hour and a half. The whole hour and a half in one sitting. I didn't speed up, speed it up. I just sat down and I watched the hour and a half thing. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. Okay. It's, it, I, know, I know it was a hodgepodge of whatever actor was alive that they could get back. Mm. So yeah, they kind of, they resurrected, was it four actors yeah. that played the Doctor? 
none of the most popular ones, I don't think, right? I don't know. I don't know what who... Tom Baker's the most popular Doctor. Yeah, Tom Baker's the most popular one and they yeah. didn't have him because yeah. I think he just didn't want to do it. <laughs> there were reports saying like, oh, he didn't want to do it. Yeah. He's 88, in yeah, fairness fair to him. Yeah. But like, he did the 50th. Yeah. He didn't come back for this. Yeah. Um, but they had everyone else that they could get. So they had David Bradley, who's just standing for William Hartnell. That's, they, that makes it weird as well. That makes it, it weird. But yeah. that's what's so annoying because like... You've got Doctor 5, 6, 7, and 8. So, Paul McGann, yeah. Sylvester McCoy. I'm going yeah. backwards for some reason. Yeah. Paul McGann, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker, and Peter Davison. Yeah. Those Doctors returned. Yes. As they are now. Yeah. Not, not as the Doctor. Not as the Doctor. Yeah. As the old men that they've become. Um, Where do they age? Well, that's the thing. Because like, in the context <laughs> of this show, yeah. in the context of this episode... They're in the Doctor's imagination. They're not real. They're the Doctor's memory. Oh, it makes even less sense then. Yeah. Like, Paul McGann, he's aged well, in fairness yeah, to him. So and he, that, that's why he's the main one. Yeah. And so he kind of looks like how he used to look. Yeah. And David Bradley is the same age or a similar age to William Hartnell when he was the Doctor. Mm. So those two look like the Doctor as we remember them, as much as they can. But then all of the other doctors are just old men. I just old men. But also, if you if David Bradley is playing William Hartnell, yeah, why then not just bring in other actors to play? Because they they did because they haven't done it because they didn't yeah, have anyone but you know else. I mean, that's but that's the only reason. Yeah, it's one of those things against the production reality. Yeah, why those four doctors? Oh right, because the, they're all we had: fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and the first. Yeah, it, you. I I hate that. I hate when you just see through. You see the limitations of the thing. Mm. The real world production, yeah. you know. Like when an actor leaves a show and they didn't plan it, fine. There's nothing you can do about mm. that. But when there's so much they could have done with that construct. One Doctor. It's one of the Doctors for some reason. Yeah. The first one, you know. But we don't know who the first Doctor is anymore. Oh, what, That's whatever. the problem. Okay. There's nothing but, sacred anymore. There's nothing sacred. But you know what I mean? Like, just pick one and then come up with some contrivance for why it had to be that well, one. They had a... The fact that you've got four of them and they're arbitrary. That's the thing. They had a fifth Doctor companion and a seventh Doctor companion yeah. in this episode. Because there's a scene between the fifth Doctor yeah. and that one and D- the seventh. Didn't know that needed resolving. Well, yeah. Who knew that that relationship needed resolution? Yeah. Oh, Doctor, you abandoned me for 40 years. Soz. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I forgive you, Doctor. Yeah. Because they, they, even the companion is like, oh, you look old now. And he doesn't even acknowledge it? Yeah. And it's it's the Well fact- hang on, if it's her memory, how are they interacting? Oh, don't even don't fucking even. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> if, don't, if it was in even. her head. No, it's it's like so when when they're interacting with the companions, uh-huh. it's a hologram produced by the TARDIS. Oh. And so they're the person who's interacting with the hologram, their idea of the doctor or their memory of the doctor is influencing the in, the form the hologram takes. Okay, whatever. But that's the thing. They yeah. bothered to explain that. <laughs> I wouldn't care so much if it wasn't the Doctor Who has acknowledged and addressed this before. Yeah. There's that special, that like children need like five minute special mm. with David Tennant and Peter Davidson in the TARDIS. Right. And there's some bullshit like, oh, because we now occupy the same TARDIS, the time timelines are compensating, which is why you look <laughs> old now. And it's total I, bullshit, but they like they acknowledge it. I know that a show like this, you're gonna run into so many like potholes, and I know it's it's basically impossible to avoid, but not as much as they have, and not they they like giving themselves more work than they need to. Mm. 
I mean, you just set up the, when you sit down and you set up the rules of the universe, and then you stick to the rules. Yeah, that's it. Like you, all this. I mean, it's the, it's the. I think it came out before he talked about the Michael Bolton thing, where you he just peaks too soon. Mm. You start off with the highest now, like where do we go now? Doctor Who. It's been the most fateful, deadliest thing that could ever exist twenty thousand times. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't know what the ultimate stakes are. You know, it was bad. It was bad. It was very bad. Sasha Dowan was embarrassing. Someone needs to sit him down and yeah. go, right, have you actually seen The Dark Knight? You know that he's not that crazy, right? Yeah. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work either because even if he was meant to be crazy, mm. Dowan is not a good actor. At least he's not good at doing The Master. No. And it comes across as I, insincere. I think it's the same problem with Jodie Whittaker in that she's not a bad actor, miscast. but she's woefully miscast. Yeah. She would have made a good companion. I'd be interested to see if Dawan yeah. is companion or doctor material. He's certainly not master material. No, well, the thing with the master is him being crazy, mm. it's insincere. It, yeah. it feels like playing a crazy person. Like when he laughs, like, oh God, that, that was a person performing a, a thick yes. laugh. That wasn't like the Joker. When Batman's beating the shit out of the Joker and he laughs, like he's just finding it hilarious. Yeah. That's a genuine from a gut laugh. Mm. He's just going like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, oh, oh, it made my skin crawl. I, I, I think it's the worst performance of the year. <laughs> really? In a TV show, at least, like 100%. Oh, you rarely get that bad performance in a, a show of that caliber. It's the same problem that both of them have, though, both Whitaker and DeWan, yeah. where they're kind of, they're doing things that previous doctors or previous masters have done. Mm-hmm. And they just, they can't pull it off. Yeah. Like Missy was crazy. Yeah. I feel and I I feel like Missy could have pushed it could push it too far sometimes. Yeah. But Missy did crazy. John Sim pulled off crazy as well. He did it really well. And, you, and it was more suitable for the tone of the show then as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But if you look at what John Sim is doing and you look at what Dewan's trying to do, they're yeah. not like vastly they're different. Worlds apart, they're though. not worlds apart. They're not worlds apart. There's just something about John Sim though. Where He's it's just like, a better actor. He could just pull it off. He's just a better and actor. And it doesn't feel like a person acting. No, and I'm I'm not saying it's of course because of his ethnicity. No, but you feel like he was cast as the master because of his of his ethnicity. I'm sure it didn't hurt. So necessarily, he's not the best actor they could have got for the role. Mm. As a result of that, you yeah. know what I mean. Like I said, I'm not saying he's a terrible actor. He might be good in other things, but this is what happens with diversity casting. Yeah, it's like oh, it was. It made me. It, yeah, it made me feel sick. Like when he's dancing to Rasputin and... Oh, that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> Both me and my sister just went, ugh. Yeah. As soon as that Is that happened, the worst TV moment of the year? That's up there. That's yeah. absolutely up there. Um, Be- who, like... They, they thought that was funny, didn't they? Or oh, they yeah. thought it was, like, cute well, inevitable. or something. Inevitable. They, yeah. He was playing Rasputin, so they were going to play the Boney M song. Yeah. But I think I mentioned this to you. So I was at a club last year on my birthday. Mm. And this 18-year-old started talking to us. And he we talk, ended up talking about the Russian Revolution for some reason. And he, he knew Rasputin by Boney M. Yeah. And I was kind of like being the old man and going, "What you're 18, like what business do you know? <laughs> do you have knowing um, Boney M? And he went, oh, I don't know. And I thought, oh, he's a precocious young man. And then I talked to someone else and they said, oh, it's like a big trending thing on TikTok at the moment. Yeah. That's why I was in Doctor Who. Because <laughs> it's a big trending thing on TikTok. Yeah. It was. Uh, or, or just that like, oh, funny, innit? Like, we'll come to that with something else later, but playing, like, a song that's vaguely relevant, like a classic. Mm. Oh, like, it's like an ironic use. It's not like an epic score. Yeah. We're playing an old cheesy pop song. But, that, like, 
John Sim did that as well, though. That's another thing that like John Sim actually did is when right. the, when the um, Toclophane mm. are like coming out of the sky. Yeah, he plays like "Here Come the Drums, Baby, Baby." Right. Okay. Yeah. Because sure. he, he's hearing the drums in his head, so it's like sure. music tying into the like the the character. The yeah. 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 Through. But again, like it it fit the tone of the show better. Yeah. And it didn't feel like I wanted to cringe out of existence. But <laughs> when Cass- it happened, Cassandra you know? Darwin, I didn't buy when he was like manic and laughing. No. It was so insincere. And also when he's being menacing, I was like, I don't find you menacing in the slightest no. bit. When he's looking in their eyes and going, you'll do what I say, won't you? And you're like, fuck off. I think, I mean, there might be something to the diversity thing. Like I said, it probably mm. didn't hurt. No, no, that, no. That, that, that he fulfilled the quota. But you've pointed, very quickly, you've pointed out before that they, it's like they use the master as a test case. Well, make it a woman. I think it's definitely that. to be a woman. And now it's an ethnic minority male. Well, that's the thing. It's not one-to-one because he's, I think Dewan's Indian or of Indian descent yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or that part of the yeah. world anyway. And uh, Shutigat was Rwandan, Scottish Rwandan. Yeah, not, not, but like, you know, not a white man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's def- that's definitely in there. But also... Because when we first see the master, it's in the Spyfall episode where he's just playing an, an like an MI6 spy. Yes. And he's just good and nice and honest and like trying to help. And we later find out it's all a ruse and he's actually the master. I think they cast him for the bit where he's not being the master. Yeah. Because he's Well, good they cast that. him because he's in, what's it called? An Adventure in Space and Time. Oh yeah, they, they recycle all of their actors. Yeah, but that's, yeah. So yeah, I can they, see they were probably looking to like put him in something, and like this just ended up like, oh, we've got this part for you. Yeah, but he's so much better suited to that bit where he's pretending to be a normal guy. Yes, I'm semi convinced that they cast him for that, so probably. it would be a genuine surprise. Yeah, believable. So that yeah. it's supposed to be a big surprise when he is the master. But the problem is, he's the master now, <laughs> and they're yeah. stuck with him being the master. I guess not now. I'm, I I don't imagine that he's going to be. David Tennant's master or Shooty Gatwa's master. I imagine they're going to recast them again. I fucking hope so. The, the scene between him and what's her face? Yasmin? Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. In the TARDIS. <laughs> just where he's being like yeah. crazy. Oh uh, yeah, just... like she's like a, like a trainee police officer. She's like, mate, I've had weapons training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? You, you're British police and you're not even police yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. It was horrible. It was horrible. Daleks were utterly pointless. Yeah. Like, I'm I, I'm terrible in the sense that, like, I know the Daleks are oversaturated and overused, yeah. and there's always a contrivance to bring them back. Mm-hmm. But I still kind of like, oh, it's the Daleks. Right. I do like the Daleks. Yes. They were utterly pointless here. Absolutely no reason for them to be here. And also, the, so, the you know, you have the rogue Dalek that's turned against his species. Yeah. And um, he kind of pops up as a hologram or whatever in the TARDIS, and mm. she's like, "What are you, you know, what are you doing here?" And it's <laughs> yeah, it's like, "Oh, she's being serious now. What are you doing? Yeah, what, what do you want?" The thing is, what, I brought up to you that Eccleston episode where he's like, "Kill it, they're scum. Mm. They just want to like, kill, yeah. they want to exterminate everyone." And you believe it? There's like, there's a darkness to that, and it was with Tennant, and it was with Smith, and it was with Capaldi. I don't think it's sexist. Let's bring back that word. She can't do it. No. And there are plenty of actresses who could. Mm. She can't do it. There's a lot she can't do. Yeah. The accent, obviously. She had to keep her native accent. Yes. She couldn't do an RP one. Though Shooty seems to be using his native accent as well. What was Capaldi doing? Capaldi was doing his natural accent. Yeah, as was... Yeah, I think Matt Smith yeah. was the... No, David Tennant was the last yeah. doctor to not use his native accent. Yeah. Matt Smith just happened to be, a, like, be close to RP. Yeah. 
like okay if that's the trend going forward like okay yeah um but at the time it was a good indication where like her reason wasn't like oh we want to change it wasn't about like changing the, the definition of the doctor or anything it was just i can't do that accent so we didn't i kept my real accent well the accent thing is a whole thing like, i i don't understand we had so many conversations about what it means when they regenerate. Mm. But when, like, Rose says to Eccleston, why why do you have a northern accent? And he says, every planet has a north, or whatever the line is. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, that's a funny, witty thing. Yeah. It'll do. It, it, and it'll do. Yeah. But that's not, obviously, that's tr- not true. No. <laughs> that's not, because... And why why a tenant do the British accent if he if the rest haven't bothered? Mm. Not British, you know, the English accent if yeah. the rest haven't bothered. I think with him, I I, I am speculating at this point, yeah. but I think with him it was just because he had this idea of what the doctor no, no, was and he I, wants to. I don't think it was him. That. I don't think it was I mean it could well have been him, but no, that was a time when well, Doctor Who, the doctor's English. Mm. So if you get a non English actor, they just do an English yeah. accent, and that's fine. But the way the culture has gone, mm. by the time you get to Capaldi, mm. it's like, oh, we don't need to do that anymore. Why mm. must the doctor be an English white man? Yeah. We don't have to do that anymore. So, and that's fine. I have no problem with them doing their own, even though Shruti Gatwa's very brief appearance in the promo yeah. was also embarrassing. Yeah. What the hell has gone on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just to finish that point I yeah. was making about the fact that she can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's sort of tying into like the problem with the master as well. Like I was saying that like he is trying. It feels like he's trying to do the John Sim thing and he just can't pull it off. Yeah. That constant like talking, <laughs> that constant talking thing she does, where she talks constantly. Yeah, yeah. That feels very like David Tennant, Matt Smith, even Capaldi to a certain degree, where they are like. It's like their brain is, like, talking to itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're trying to keep up with their own train of thought, yeah, yeah. and they're just throwing things out there mm-hmm. to see what sticks. And then when Whitaker does it, it just feels like a person saying lines. It just feels like someone talking, delivering well, exposition. It's, she always has the same energy, is the thing. That's a problem as well, yeah. The rest mo- moderated it, and yeah. modulated it. She's always in that. I've done the impression of you, where it's just like, she's always slightly leaned forward, like, primed. yeah. And so, like, we gotta go now. We gotta do that. It's just like that's what it always is. Mm. And like, she's looking around, and she's in that stupid fucking coat. <laughs> um, well, okay, here's a question. Yeah. Why do you think Tennant didn't keep Whitaker's clothes when he regenerated? Oh, I don't know. Because <laughs> this is the only time I've known this to happen where they ha- they didn't keep the old Doctor's outfit. Because I think by even vacation you'd have knickers and a bra. On. <laughs> well, I- that's the thing. The know. Master wore it gladly. What, when Sasha Dowan... Yeah, when Sasha Dowan played the Doctor, he had the Doctor's outfit on. No, how? The ma- Did the Master transform into yeah. Sasha Dowan? No, the Master... Sasha Dowan yeah. became the Doctor. As in, he replaced right, his, right, right, Jodie right. Whittaker's yes, body with yes, his yes. body. Okay. Spoilers? Okay. <laughs> this episode is just fucking noise. Yeah. It's total <laughs> noise. I, <laughs> I said to you tonight that, like... Uh, like during that opening sequence where they're they're like raiding a space train with Cybermen on it, mm. Dad sort of like leaned over to me and he went, "You know, I think it's what I've said before on the podcast, but it's like, I think the best episodes of Doctor Who they're the ones that are like they're simple, and there's like a couple of characters and it's a strong idea and it's just nice and simple to the soundtrack of <laughs> Cybermen." Yeah. As the train is like hurtling through space, and 
Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, so obviously John Bishop almost dies in that encounter. Oh, that's and, so funny. The, then, like, the era that's insisted on having the most amount of people to represent the most amount of people. Yeah. Had to get rid of John Bishop immediately because they had no fucking place yeah. for him in that episode. He almost dies, so he's like, oh, I should leave now. Yeah. And then we see at the end of the episode, there's a support group for people, for old companions. Yeah. And the thing I hate about that is, I mean, you get it in a lot of things, like big blockbuster movies and everything. But when the characters are in mortal peril, mm. we know that they're not. Because yeah. it's the beginning of the film, or the tone is not like that. They don't. No. So they can't behave all quippy and... Why is he there anyway? What the, what does he do? <laughs> As to the idea at the end, of like I get um, it would be hard like readjusting to life after you've seen the universe and everything. Mm. And I get the function of support group insofar as that was pretty traumatic, all the shit that I went through. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm, I, but it had its moments and I'm finding it hard to reintegrate. But not like, oh, I miss it so much. Yeah. Like, it would oh, be, for God's sake. It would be kind of interesting if there was a support group dealing with people who've been traumatized, traumatized by the doctor. Yeah. By the doctor. But no, it's just, oh yeah, that was really nice. I want to tell people how nice it was. It was a way of just, um, it was a pat on the back and a way of rounding off this era. Mm. We have, oh, we'll see some of the people in the support group. Yeah. You know. Good riddance. <laughs> it's over. It's over and done with. We've only got ten and back for one episode, but we've already said that we're dubious about. Yeah, it, we it really could go either way with Russell T Davis. So, but I will say, like after seeing Jodie Whittaker regenerate on the fakest cliff I've ever seen in front of the fakest ocean I've ever seen. Yeah, to see the next time trailer. Yes, have a practical car explosion in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm already more confident going into that special. Yeah. But then again, Gatwa, the backdrop for him is yeah, that, pretty dire that does as look well. terrible. Yeah, that looks temp. It looks like a temporary. I hope it's a temporary backdrop. Yeah, because yeah, that looks proper bad. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Better call Saul. Oh, this is not proper bad. It's not. There you go. We've <laughs> some review of Better Call Saul. So we told them that we would talk about Better Call Saul. We did. When we finished watching it. Yes. We've now finished watching it. We have. What to say. Go on. What to say. My notes are five question marks. Okay. Because you don't know what to say? Or what do you, you say don't... about it? It's, it's, it's great. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's one of the best shows ever. One of the, one of the best shows ever. Best prequel ever, right? Oh, yeah. That was, like, really... Like, I, I don't know whether I missed it on my first... This was my first proper run-through of the show. Yeah. I was watching it when it was airing, and I think I got as far as... Three, right? I don't know if I got as far as Chicanery or the Series 3 finale. Mm-hmm. But I certainly never got further than Series 3. Okay. I do think that watching it... You lose that kind of, like... When you're watching it week to week and, indeed, season to season, obviously it carries more weight mm-hmm. to it because you're waiting that much longer. But also you have time to kind of, like digest it and talk yeah. about it and think about it but I think like you really appreciate the craft of it more the intricacy the of intricacy it. is in yeah. it when you're watching it in one go there's a, lo- there's a lot of detail if you're watching it week to week year to year yeah yeah in one it really holds up as a unit yeah yeah which is surprising like I, I can't think of another show off the top of my head that like holds its own yes when watched in one sitting yeah. Because usually, like, that, you lose something by watching a show in one sitting, don't you? It's like, oh, I've kind of, yeah. like, I've seen it all now. Well, I think it's because the pace of it. It's, it's just nicely paced. Mm. Like, it has that slow burn thing of Breaking Bad. But, it, like, Breaking Bad, it's not dull. And you, you can savour 
everything. It's not dull. It's weird, because, like, there are moments of Better Call Saul that are exciting. Yeah. Genuinely exciting. Big, you know, gunfights and yeah. that kind of thing. But there's a lot more of that in Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad yeah. is the more overtly... More dynamic show. Dynamic, yeah. entertaining, exciting show. Yeah. Like, Better Call Saul, some of the more exciting moments, or, like, some of the more dramatic, big moments are, like... Someone finds a document. Well, we said, I said like, <laughs> that's, that says a thing, um, you know. Earlier, the uh, you know the stakes are different. Generally, yeah. there there are there are some overlaps. Sometimes they're in mortal peril. Yeah, but Jimmy was not, is never going to kill anybody. Yes, and toward the end, they kind of he edges close to it, like with you know um, the guy in the house. Is he going to hit him over the head? Yeah, the old woman when she's going to dob him in. Is he going to kill? And he never does. Mm. You know, Breaking Bad didn't have that. You know, he could go and kill somebody. Yeah. After a certain point. So yeah, the stakes are different. You know, mm. and rightly so. It shouldn't have been the same thing as Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like again, I'm 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 kind of I've been watching it with my father, so I'm watching the final season with him now. Mm. And there's that thing where he defends Lalo, and so all the people in the court hate him now because he defended yeah. a genuine. And that's the final season. You know, it's not like boom, 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 all this explosions. And you know, mm. not that like Breaking Bad was all that. Yeah. But yeah, it was a lot more. A lot more, and it, it could have, it could be because oh, it, it was the end. I wonder what I wonder what he did or was doing to Judge Papadumian <laughs> that even after he defended Lalo Salamanca in court, yeah, she still yeah. is like his biggest fan, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that's funny, is that like across Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, there's all this mention of this Judge Papadumian, yes. who he's on really good terms with, and we never meet her. No, yeah. never ever. It's meet like a her. joke, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I was saying that, like, um, I don't know whether I just lost it or didn't pick up on it the first time around. Mm -hmm. This does, this commits what many people have often, like, brought up as, like, a cardinal sin of prequels. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of over-origin storying everything. Yes. It's the the solo is, like, my go-to example. I don't know what the typical go-to example is. But when he signs up for the Empire and they say, what's your last name? And he goes, I don't have one. And And they go, Han... Solo. Yeah, I would use um, Repilot of the Shield as yeah. the car of doing it too much, where every little, the dynamics of characters. Yeah. Like, oh, here's where they pick on Dutch, and here's, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like every facet of that character, whether it needs an origin story or not, it's fucking getting one. Yes. And it's getting one within this very narrow window of time. Yeah. And I've definitely brought it up before, but that's why I love season two of Fargo, is they lull you into, because you know Maudie's mother has died. Yeah. And they lull you into that thing of she's going to die in the penultimate episode. And she doesn't. No. She's going to live for a bit longer. And she, yeah. You know, but it's almost like that's... It's playing with the audience. It's like, ah, you know, because this is a prequel to season one, you're expecting that the mother's going to die. Yeah. I'm going to tease you with that. But no, she's not. I love that about it, mm. you know? Yes, because not everything is contextualized within a very narrow yeah, exactly. band of time. Yeah, And Better Call Saul is full of moments like that. The yeah. finale of series one shows you how he got his famous ring. Yeah. And there's, like, moments where, um, just, like, little things the characters mention. Like, for example, when he's doing the bingo, and he goes, B for Belize. You know, I want someone to send me to Belize one day, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, because you know what's coming. Yeah. All that stuff that it does, and not once did it set a foot wrong. Not once was it too egregious or unnecessary. But then again, there are also examples of... Of restraint as well, and, and a recognition of, you know, when you're actually in the story with the characters, there's not space for... I've, I've faced that loads of times, like, okay, in this season of the show, I'd want to do this, 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 and this. Mm. And then when you start organically writing how it unfolds, like, 
I'm not gonna have time to get to that thing. Yeah. It's just it, other things were suggested. And like in Bre- Breaking Bad, he says he has three ex-wives. Mm. Only one yeah. is in Better yeah. Calls, you know. Um, I think the other two he'd already married by the time the show started. Oh, right. Okay. Like when he was a young man or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, no, but I, yeah, I know what you mean. It's rife with those, um, mm. like Crazy Eight, we know, we find out why he's called Crazy yeah, Eight. Yeah, we find out why he's called Ocho Crazy Loco. Yeah. Like, did, um, did we need that? No, but we no. got it and it works. And it works. Yeah. And it's because it's not ham-fisted and, and it's not, um, it doesn't come from a place of, the show isn't built around contextualizing everything you see in Breaking Bad. No. It's incidental. Yeah. There, there is a separate story that you're following. Yeah. Um, and those moments just nice. But I would say like this Like, the is... entirety... I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, but I just would say, the entirety of season four is built around how did that underground meth lab, where did that come from? Right. Kind of. Kind but of. Like, that's the thing. But that's I, the thing. I don't like, think that's the question. It's, it's not you're watching it going... Ah, so that's how the math lab happened. No, no, that's the You're thing. following the story of Mike losing his soul when he has to kill them. And that's you why know. it works. Yeah. It's because they're always, they always manage to put it... If it's bigger than like a throwaway thing like the Belize comment, yeah. they always manage to put it in a context which works within that story. Yeah. When he gets that ring, it, turn, it turns out the, re- like the ring is from an old friend that he used to sort of like... Con with, yeah. Con with, yeah. that dies. And so he inherits the ring. And he is like about to go into like... Uh, the courthouse to like make a deal with a law firm to be gentrified to be gentrified yeah. and he looks at the ring and he goes no I'm not that guy yeah it inspires a character beat yes and yeah like the underground meth lab who would have looked at like a better call Sol prequel mm. and thought oh you know that underground meth lab in Breaking Bad that Sol never goes to yeah that's gonna be the backdrop to one of the best subplots in the entire show yeah and just the whole um you know the show starts, you have Jimmy and you have Mike. Hmm. And they have a tenuous connection and then both kind of go off on their own stories and they, like, once a season, they'll yeah. meet for a job or whatever. And then, like, by season four, that's sort of gone. Is Mike has hit... The There's, world. like... It's like they tease you. There's, like, a couple of moments yeah. where Jimmy calls Mike and says, hey, I got a job for you. And he goes, nah. And yeah, they never basically, meet. Yeah, Yeah. And it's, um... You have the world of Mike and the cartel and the world of Jimmy. And you think, oh, okay, that's fine. They sort of sailed into that until the ending when it, all of it just comes together yeah. in one and it works so beautifully mm. like obviously spoilers um, for the whole show like Lalo killing Howard is a beautiful crystallization of two characters that have no business meeting whatsoever from the two different worlds yeah it's perfect it's just so perfectly yeah. realized and you can't believe that they didn't sit down for months and months and months and plan out every beat of the whole show no but they didn't because that's not how writing works <laughs> I still works. don't believe them I know but I think they're lying to us Sam I'll be honest with you it's pretty much you know it's not my favourite show there are, there are shows I like more and, but it's the closest to a perfect show I think that there is really there's like it's it's a masterclass on all fronts yeah. definitely like it's when, flawless yeah when you think about like um, when you want to demonstrate a cinematic craft being practised at its peak mm. You have, like, different films and shows for different... So, like, you know, oh, cinematographers, here's the cinematography films. Yeah. Here's the editing films, here's the acting films, the directing films, the writing films. Better Call Saul is one of those rare things where you could show yeah. that show to every craftsman simultaneously, and they will all feel equally as inadequate. Yeah. I mean, biased to an extent, obviously, but I would put the social network in that category as well. Yeah, it's not... You know, yeah, like Better Call Saul is not deep- on its own. Oh, no, 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 yeah, no, no, I know. I'm saying that it brought to mind... Yeah, it's not just... Because yeah. I was thinking earlier, people say, you know, is it a Sorkin film or is it a Fincher film? Yeah. No, it's both. That's the whole point. But yeah, like, similarly, yeah. the sound of, you know, them in the club, they're actually shouting at each yes. other. And 
uh, the cinematography and yeah, ever the music. Yeah. Uh, yeah, on every level, the craft is flawless and just the, the luck of like having a good TV show is you have to luck out in so many fronts anyway. Mm. But when every single thing is awards, it's yeah. the best in its field. Yes. You know, like the editing and just, I think we started watching it and we should point out that a trend developed where every episode we would throw <laughs> cushions at the TV yeah, because it was just, just so like, annoyingly good. Yeah, exactly. I just like a, To the point I, where I, you were like watching it with your father yeah. and you did it instinctively and he was yeah, like, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, it could have been for so many different things. It mm. could have been for a neat little plot twist, yeah. a bit of dialogue, foreshadowing. For me a lot, it was the visuals. Look at that fucking shot. Yeah. Just, you know, every frame is a painting in the show. Yeah. But like we, we started watching it and you know, you have the introduction to, to Gene in the modern day mm. and then back in the courthouse in 2001 or two or whenever it, whenever it is. And we were just talking about the sound design mm. of, of the courtroom. It's yeah. every little thing. This show makes silence sounds so rich oh yeah it, it truly is flawless and that's why it's difficult to talk about it in, in any kind of micro aspect mm. because it's flawless uh, you know there's the performances are great across the board yep Odenkirk obviously Ray Seahorn yes brilliant I would say like even Patrick Fabian who of the ensemble is the least used mm. and, you, and you just kind of accept and then you just kind of think Howard I, I disliked him a bit but why did I dislike him? Yeah. I, I can't even work out now why I ever disliked him. You know, he just has this soul you, you just, and this heart you, you that just watching, like, season five and six going, Yeah. Sorry, why does he deserve this? Yeah, like, not at all. <laughs> no. Like, not at all. You're not with them at all at that no. point. No, yeah. Um, Michael McKean. Yeah, obviously you know, Chuck is fantastic. Um, and even, like, Lalo. Like, I thought a show like uh, Better Call Saul, they're not going to introduce a villain... That's as magnetic as Gus, or as you know, mm. and he doesn't have the import that Gus has in Breaking Bad, but he truly has a menacing aura about him. It's so him. impressive yeah. that, that he came into not just Better Call Saul, but the Breaking Bad universe. Yeah, as late as he did, and he's yeah. one of its most iconic characters. Hundred percent. I love the the little character things that because everyone in those show in both shows pretty much is smart because mm. they think of like you know they love that idea of if the villain is smart, the hero has to be even smarter. Like, yes. And so everyone is smart. Everyone is as smart as the writers, basically. Like, right, they think of this, they think of that. Yeah. And so when characters do outsmart each other, it's even more impressive because you go, that makes so much sense that it would be, that would be yeah. the thing. But I like the little things that distinguish characters. Obviously, you've got Gus's placidity, mm. Mike's gruffness. I love the thing with, with Lalo is that he's just, he's kind of mental, mm. but in a controlled smart way and he's the guy that will just do the thing yeah so like in the fourth season finale where he just climbs into the air vent and murders the guy <laughs> he just drops um, down on him yeah or like when um, Mike is uh, he, he puts gum in the machine so that Lalo yeah. can't get out yeah Lalo's pretty much the only character in the show that would drive into the back of the other car to get out yeah and like when the car he goes to find Jimmy's overturned car in the desert and he just jumps yeah on, he's the only guy that would do that in yeah. the show oh his, his physicality yeah the physicality definitely helps him stand out also yeah. his smile his wicked smile his smile <laughs> and he's definitely one of those like I would not want to be alone with Lalo you know like it's no. so rare that a character can be that intimidating yeah and, and it builds up over time as well which is what's interesting it does build up he's yeah. not menacing at first I know like no when, when we first meet him, he's not presented as menacing. No, no, but it's kind of it's kind of like a who's this guy? Yeah, yeah, he's cucking, isn't he? And he's all like jo- jovial. Yeah, and, 
And yeah, by the time he walks in to their apartment and then you just see their reaction rather than him. And yeah. you just fucking cower in fear. You're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember first watching it when he walks in and Howard's there, my stomach dropping. <laughs> it's like, oh no. This is not going to end well. No. And that scene, it's horrible. Yeah. When he kills Howard, it's truly, truly horrible. Mm. What do you say about Battle Soldier? I know. It's perfect. It's unfair, it's, is what it is. It is It is unfair. Yeah. Like, genuinely annoyed at how good it is. The visual palette, you know, the phones, Huel, you know, Golden Smith every season. He's naming it. things now. Yeah, I know, I'm just listening things. <laughs> He's just listening Golden things from Smith, Better Call Saul. Uh, every season having a whammy of an episode. Yeah. Five O, and then it was, there's a Bally High in the second season. Or was it Inflatable? I can't remember. Yeah. Chicanery. Yeah, the That desert. episode in and of itself. Yeah, Bad Choice Road. Yeah. Um... That thing in the fourth season, which it's not one of the things most talked about with what's great about the show, but I think it's my or one of my favorite little subplot episode things. It's when Huel's arrested and they have to go to Alabama or whatever. Oh, God, yeah. Louisiana. Yeah, that's and write a, the whole, that's you know, great. Yeah. The phones and doing it's just. Well, yeah, just like the phones in general. It's yeah. like that, that had to be thought out. Yeah. You don't just go, oh, right, so he's going to sell phones for a year. Maybe this will lead to something. Maybe it won't. Yeah. And then it becomes so integral to the rest of the show. And Saul's identity as yeah. well. And every scheme is different. Yeah. And the plot, the clever, and they have different stakes. And, you know, they never repeat themselves. And kind of Kim's descent into that world. Yeah. I don't really know what to say. <laughs> yeah, other than just, like, naming... Say, saying things that happened and naming things that are in the show. Yeah. That's all this review. I think what it comes down to is it's basically a, a flawless show. Yeah. That... Is one of the, the the shows I encounter on one hand that doesn't set a toe wrong. No, there's not one little moment where you think, oh, maybe that's not the best character. There was one that I thought might be, which is when um, Mike meets that woman at a group. Yeah, and like, oh, that might be a budding relationship. But they, the whole point of that was that it wasn't going to be. Yes, you know, nah, he's not. You know, there was the option of that, but he yeah, back he and, he had a choice to yeah. not go down this path, but yeah. he went down it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, we Nacho, even him. Oh, Nacho's great. That's the thing. Dignity. And yeah, like Nacho a, yeah. is sort of like one of the forgotten heroes of that yeah. show, which is unfortunate. Yeah, but like in any other show, he would be one of the, the like the, the standout character. Yeah, and then in Better Call Saul, he's just like fifth or sixth yeah. down the, the ladder, <laughs> yeah. but still like an amazing character. Yeah, yeah. I think we said we we expressed not distaste because it's mm. not a problem. It's very clear why the show is doing yeah. what it's doing, but just how like. Without flaw, without issue, Mike's family is. Oh yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, it can it can actually be quite annoying. Yeah, um, how like not not the kid so much as Stacy is that her name? Yeah, yeah, more on her later. Um, oh right, oh she in something else? She's in Banshee. Oh, of course she is. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, and I know what it's doing. The show is yeah. like Mike has to have that bubble of purity. purity. Yeah. So that when, like, when he falls out with his step, uh, with his granddaughter, for example, mm-hmm. that's a genuinely harrowing yeah. prospect for Mike yeah. as well, not just for us. It's like, oh yeah, that's if that gets corrupted, there is nothing left for Mike. Yeah. Also, for me personally, um, I don't know how you feel about it. Gus was one of the weaker characters for me in this yeah. show. I, I know that he's a, such a strong outing in Breaking Bad. Yeah. And I appreciate that they kept his past ambiguous. There was no temptation. There probably was temptation, but they never gave into the temptation yeah. to kind of l- suggest more about like his history in Chile, 
yeah. and where he came from and what the hell is up with him in general. I, I think I saw my uncle about it because he, I was surprised to learn he'd watched Bellicle Soul and he said, "Oh, they're doing they're doing another one now about um, Gus's." I was like, "They're not." No, that's just that's an internet thing. Maybe Facebook. That, yeah. That's not going to happen because he's getting older and older and older. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Gus is like twenty or whatever. No, I agree. I I, I think it was difficult because. Gus in Bellicle Sol even starts off as he has to be an elusive cryptic figure for yeah. Mike. Mm. And he's kind of already formed by that point. It's the same Gus that we meet in Breaking Bad. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with obviously Jimmy, this whole show is about Jimmy's yeah. evolution or devolution from yeah. Jimmy to Sol Goodman. Mike behaviorally, yeah. Mike is very much the same when we meet him, but he's still got a lot of a lot of way a long ways to go before yes. he's the Mike that we know. Yeah. And obviously he's as competent as Mike is in Breaking Bad. But again, but Mike and Bellicle Soul wouldn't just walk into that um, warehouse and kill all the cartoon No, exactly, yeah. yeah. Mike does need to go through some yeah. change. But the Gus that we meet is the same Gus from Breaking Bad. And because his future is determined mm-hmm. and his past is to remain ambiguous, mm-hmm. it, sort of re- it sort of renders the character immobile yeah. in a show full of characters that are constantly changing and evolving and devolving. And it's, it's a shame. No, I agree. I agree. I, there, was, there was no way around it, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's why I like... He's too integral to Mike's story. You have to have him. I understand it. It's just, it's unfortunate. Yeah. No, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But, you know, there has to be a weakest thing. But that's why I like like the, the coda to his story in Seoul, which is him at that restaurant, mm. um, having the wine, and the guy, like, they're kind of clearly hitting it off, and there might be a thing there. Mm. But then he's like, yeah, no, I can't, I can't do, I can't be with yeah. anybody. And he leaves. Because it was like a little peek into his humanity, you know? Yeah. I don't know what else to say. No. It's, it's just watch it. Yeah, if you haven't watched it already, go now, please. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Should we review Black Adam? Is this... <laughs> is this revenge, Sam? For... Because I made you watch a shit film with The Rock in it. You're making me watch a shit <laughs> film with The Rock in it. At least mine had a practical purpose to it. What was that? We're doing it. We did the Tooth Fairy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that was like completely arbitrary. No, it was. It was oh no, sorry, because it was around. <laughs> it what, was, what even was that? It was supposed to be National <laughs> Tooth Day, right. and then the episode okay. ended up coming out two months later. Okay. Um, Whereas this is just you just made me watch a no, show. No, it's no. This film. is a new film. Is why I made. You oh watch joy! It. I know. Oh wonderful! Well, I'd like to say I hadn't seen it before I asked you to watch it. Okay. So I didn't. I knew it was going to be shit. Okay. And it is. It's fucking shit. Yeah. It's just <laughs> that's the first note. It's one of the first. Not one of the first. That's not fair. It's been a while since I've watched a film, and I I felt the time that I was losing <laughs> watching it. Yeah. Okay. So here are some words and terms. Okay. Kandak. Yes. Eternium. Six demons. The Council of Wizards. Crown of Shabak and the Intergang. That was in the first six minutes. That got all that. <laughs> it's okay. Good, like that opening thing where they're explaining everything. Yeah. I was like, I need to make a note of all the new terms I have to learn. Yeah. And yeah, it'd been like five, six minutes. Okay. That's too much. Yeah. It's too much. Um, There's nothing wrong with because I was I was surprised by the fact that this is like it's 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 its own setting with its own history and mythology. It's not just oh, it's Black Adam in. Chicago, New York, ambiguous superhero no. city. It's like it's kind of like Black Panther in the sense that it's like well, it's, it's, it's Wakanda, yeah, Wakanda, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's got like a it's got a, a setting with a history, it's, yes, separate from the rest of the universe. So that was like 
Well, I wasn't expecting that. I don't no. want to say whether it was good okay, or bad. I, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it either. Yeah. But that, it was more annoying that they did that. Yeah. Not that it was a unique setting, but we'll get to it. Okay. Well, it looks boring and ugly and cheap. Yes. Um, Is there, are they still trying to copy Zack Snyder, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Because well, they've got James Gunn now. They don't need to copy Zack Snyder anymore. Well, okay, so I'm not a big fan of Black Panther, right? But it, it did do that Pan-African thing well. Like, blending all the different yeah. traditional cultural aesthetic stuff with, like, futurism. Is it yeah. Afrofuturism, is that what they called it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. like Afrofuturism. It's like top-notch production design. This is a bit of South Africa, a bit of Egypt, a bit of ancient Greece. Yeah, I don't really know where this... It kind of felt Middle East. It felt South Africa to me. Okay. Like South Africa with Middle Eastern inflections. Yeah. All shot through that Snyder filter. Yeah. It's so dull to look at. Mm. It's like a lot of it was 300-esque. They even have like the kicking into the... Yeah, a lot of slow motion. A lot of, a lot of slow... Yeah, speeding up and slowing down. Yeah. Speeding up and slowing down. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, whenever the fucking wind girl is on screen... <laughs> they have to like slow it down so you can see her. Like, I know. I, I know she's there. It's fine. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so you don't need to make the film longer. Is please. it even worth explaining the plot before we go into it? Did it have it's one? Just... Well, yeah. Okay. So they play <laughs> early on. Did it? You have the introduction. Like, basically, it's about they were slaves, and then someone revolted against the masters. Yeah. And uh, then he was like entombed by a king in mm. prison, and now he's come back. And it's a whole different type of slavery or some shit. So early on, after we get the opening, here's what happened in the past thing. Mm. They play bullet with butterfly wings, which is, of course, a big no-no. I think there should be a rule. Yeah. An enforceable rule. You have to earn. Like, you you could go to prison rule. That if your film is below a certain percentage quality-wise, you're not allowed to use certain songs. Well, here's the thing. I thought that the song implied a period setting. Like, okay, okay they're grounding it in the 90s or something. Okay. But I'm pretty sure it's only used because the opening line is, the world is a vampire-scented drain. Yeah, it's probably that, isn't it? <laughs> Which ties in with the kid's tirade. So I wrote the tirade down. What you are is a ne- neo-imperialist enforcer from halfway around the world, sent here to strip mine our sacred lands, pollute our water, oppress our heritage, and make us wait in lines all day. Okay. So, the Wakanda thing does seem to be a trend now. Mm. Ethnically diverse, culturally specific. The thing with Wakanda, though... not in this case. The thing with Wakanda was that it was doing better than most countries. Yes. It's completely isolated from the the rest of the world. Everyone, like, everyone has a quality way of life. Yeah. There's no worry about, like, poverty or underclass or anything like that. No, the thing... They... they, they, Wakanda has done brilliantly for itself. Yeah, no, but... And this is just a shithole. Yeah, but the central dilemma in Black Panther with Wakanda was they're not helping all the other black people in the world. Mm. In, like, the ghetto who are suffering. Like, they're isolationists, so no one knows about them. They're They're keeping everything to themselves. Yes. Same sort of thing. Whereas this is, yes, it's a place that should be Wakanda, Hmm. that the white man is stripped of it. And the only reason I think South Africa is apartheid and all that. And also, the the mercenaries sounded vaguely South African. Okay. I thought they were Australian. Well, I thought they were Australian as well, but then I thought, well, where is this meant to be? Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of nowhere. Kind of Middle East-y kind of Greece. Yeah. So yeah, ethnically diverse, culturally specific. Though again, not that culturally specific in this case. Hmm. And wholly didactic. It's definitely a trend of like, oh, it's this kingdom filled with brown people and their superpowers. Yeah. But someone's exploiting it. Something, you know, something like that. Mm. So the slow motion sequence to paint it black. (laughs) Is that 
better or worse than the Rasputin sequence in Doctor Well, this Who. is this. That's what I was alluding to. That a slow motion action sequence played out to a classic rock song with some vague lyrical connection to what's going on mm. has been done. Yeah, we don't need any more of that. No, it's over. Guardians did it. Thor's done it. It really felt. And I don't know whether this is just a symptom of... I don't even watch as many films as you, mm. but a symptom of like the amount of films that I've watched. Yeah. It felt antiquated. So much about this film felt oh, antiquated. Yeah. Like they're five years behind. Yeah. Well, obviously the choice of music, but just like... This felt like The Rock from the period of his career where he was doing like Tooth Fairy. Well, we'll come back to that as well. Yeah. Um, so there was also the Good, the Bad and the Ugly reference, mm. which reminded me of Logan with Shane. You know, in, in Logan, they're watching yeah. the film Shane. But instead of, like, a meaningful thematic overlap, um, and with a film that much of its audience wouldn't know, crucially. Like, a lot of people seeing Logan wouldn't know Shane. No. So rather than that meaningful thematic similarity, mm. this is just that bit from the film. Yeah. That they're doing. Is that cultural appropriation? Cultural appropriation. Yeah, would you say that, like, um, Good, the Bad and the Ugly is a white person film? <laughs> It's not meant to work the other way around, is it? I mean, no, it's it, not it, supposed it's, to. It's, but it, is it's, it? it's literally cultural appropriation. Yeah. And they've just taken a film and used the thing from it. Yeah, and it rings hollow anyway because there are no, there's no threat or tension. No, because when he's going for it, it's like, well, if they shoot at you, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and the good, the bad, the ugly, it's tense because if they get Anyone shot, they will die. die. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. they just, they, they yeah, it's on the TV and then, oh, we'll do a pastiche to that yeah. for no reason whatsoever. It's not like the good, the bad, the ugly has thematic connections with is this supposed <laughs> <laughs> Is this supposed to be like, oh, this is like the old frontier where we're like, we're, we're, the, I think it's we're, we're coming in to like sort you out. I think it's just meant to be a joke and like, because he's unfamiliar with the world, mm. It's like, that's how he's understanding it. Because he sees the film and then he's like, okay, I'll apply that to this actual mm. gunfire. That's what it's meant to be. And for, um, especially for the adults in the audience to go, <laughs> it's the, the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> oh, I'd much rather be watching that. Yeah. Justice Society? Don't. Don't. <laughs> don't. Firstly, I thought only Amanda, I thought Amanda Waller only dealt with villains. And now she's like, yeah. she's forming superhero teams as well. Yeah. Yeah, who are the Justice Society? Where did they come from? How long have they been around? Superman, I don't know when he came to Earth, but he revealed himself to us in what, like 2013? Yeah. And that was like big news. It was a novelty. There is a man with superhuman powers on planet Earth. What the fuck? Yeah. It's the Marvel thing, though. And now we've got Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, who's been alive for more than 100 years, and he's got like pre-existing relationships with all these superhero characters that go back decades it's like, where the fuck have you been? Where did you go? What? What? Never mind. What, what, when is the set? What's happening? Yeah. All that aside, Justice League, Justice Society, like, yeah. couldn't come up with a... Di- I'm sure that's what it is in the comic, that's why, but really? Yeah. You can come up with something a bit different? Freedom Society. Or yeah. Liberation. Just, I mean, if they were happy League. enough not using Black Adam for the entire film. Oh, that thing at the end. the Again, the Avengers thing. Yeah. Which so many things have done. What should as we well. call you? Yeah, they did it in Fantastic Four, didn't they? Yeah. That guy's come up with it. Oh my god. And just that look and you meant to go, ooh. But I, I, I am wondering was that deliberate? Because they don't say Black Adam once throughout the entire film. No. The only Black Adam is the title card. Yeah. Do you think that was deliberate? Do you think that was because they didn't know whether they were like whether it was okay? No, I think it's just because he's they can 
why would he be called Bla- the character that is the god or whatever? Like, why would he be called Black Adam? Yeah. And so they update his name at the end. But why it would be that, I don't know. Why yeah. is it that? Black Adam. Yeah. Because he wears black. Why Adam? Well, his character is like Teth Adam or Tate oh, Adam. Oh, is that right? So black. Okay. It's just black Adam. Um, he's not black though, is he? The Rock. No, he's not. Um, well, that's why. That's see. This is the thing. This is why I was like, oh, is it okay? Because well, he is generally speaking, it's not okay in Hollywood. Like, it's occasionally frowned upon for you to play a part which you don't match demographically. Not if you are a minority. Okay. I think sometimes it can, but like. He was he? He's Hawaiian, right? Or like Samoa, Samoan, like, yeah. Samoan, something like that. And that skin tone could be Middle Eastern. Yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, and like I don't have a problem then, like that. Like Cliff Curtis, we've said before, mm. has played. He's a Maori. He's played Maori. He's played Hispanic. Yeah. He's played Middle Eastern. Yeah, Punjabi. Fine, because that skin tone kind of works for. And he's got a big nose. <laughs> it kind of <laughs> works for a variety of ethnicities. Yeah, and Dwayne Johnson. I mean, to be fair, looks like Polynesian or Hawaiian. He does. But he could be Middle Eastern. Mm. But no, you're right. Like, it's just this hypocrisy of, well, yeah. you couldn't have, like, Pierce Brosnan playing... Black Black <laughs> um, I don't want to be ageist, right? But okay. isn't it a bit late for Dwayne Johnson to get his own superhero franchise? Yeah. It, it's... it's just, like, ignoring the fact that Fast and the Furious basically is that. Yeah. Fills that function. As well as every other film he's in. He's yes. always playing a superhero. Yeah. It just feels like this film is the result of the fact it would feel weird if he'd never had one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, in like twenty years, like oh, isn't it funny he never played a superhero, and this film is why this it's is just, a result I, of that. I don't, I don't really understand it. I don't know whether this is him or whether this is like Hollywood. Yeah, whether it's DC going, oh, we'll be the ones to put J- uh, Dwayne Johnson in a superhero film. Yeah, or whether he just went, I want to do a superhero film, and then that just fell in his lap. Yeah, but you know what I mean, though. I just think it, it, like it's just because it would be weird if Dwayne Johnson never played a superhero. I guess, but like. Specifically, a superhero, or just like put him in a film, like a vi- like as a villain, like a one-off villain, or as like a. Well, I guess it's because he's like the, he's he's yeah, he's probably the action star. Because he's not now, even like he? a hero. Well, no, he's not even a hero. Because the the whole film Anti-hero. is supposed to be like a. Oh, is he a villain? Is he a yeah, hero? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's obviously a villain because he lets that boy live. Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah, but I mean, this is just the epitome of what I hate about these type of films, where it's like. Oh look, it's a film about the supervillain, and then it's just not. There's so much There's I hate about it, Kala, like the Shazamness of it. The uh, you know, the, also a kid that's like trying to convince him. Oh yeah, and then you... the the guy that's like part of the crew that's fat and and drives the minivan. Like I'm just gonna stay here, guys. Yeah. There's, there's always one. There's all yeah yeah. He's there, and they didn't even have bother killing him. They, no, they went to kill him, and then they were like, yeah, you know, yeah, fuck alive. it. Yeah. Um, do you think it was a mistake? them releasing Shazam before they did this. Um, in what way? I'm not familiar with DC Comics. I don't read no, DC Comics. No. So my first exposure to the character Shazam was the film. Yeah. came out however, however many years ago it was. Yeah. That, like, overtly comedic take on that character. So, like, that's my experience of Shazam. It's a funny superhero. It's, like... Like it, it's not cheap looking, but it's got that kind of like almost. Well, it's you know, it's it's called Shazam, and you kind of you can't get away with that earnestly. Yeah, in, it's in like cheesy and like yeah, it knows it's cheesy, self conscious. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for us to have this like uber serious version of that, mm. where the Rock is like constantly like grimacing and like major dramatic beats revolve around him going Shazam, it yeah. just feels really silly, and the film never acknowledges how silly it is. And I'm just kind of. I'm sick of 
because this is mainly had negative reviews, but even the negative reviews are like, okay, okay, so on the good side, it's ethnically diverse. On the bad side, blah, blah, blah. That can't, that's not enough. I think it's just, it's not an ameliorating factor in any way whatsoever. No. I don't, I know we t- particularly don't care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't, you go, okay, well, at least it looks good, which would be a thing. Mm. That's not in that camp. It's, this isn't one of those, you can't get away with it. No. Because it's ethnically diverse. I, I would go on, I would go as far as to yeah. say that I think we're at the point now where we don't need, I, in the beginning, I could see how you would be like, oh, it's a good thing. Yes. That this this has an ethic, ethnically diverse cast. Yeah. Because you want that to keep happening. Yeah. So even though the film is shit and we should throw the rest of it out, mm-hmm. I like the fact that there's a diverse cast. Please keep doing that. I would say we're at the point now where Hollywood doesn't need prompting anymore. No. It knows diverse casts are a good thing. It's going to keep putting them in stuff. Mm-hmm. So now there's no need yeah. to be like, Oh, but on the plus side, there's a diverse cast. Yeah. No, now we just need to focus on making the films that have diverse casts good. Yeah. You've got it. Yeah. Now let's work on refining it. Yeah. Don't just give it, like, unconditional praise. Because they're shit as well. Yeah. Is the fact of the matter. Like, not the films are, yeah, but the cast. They're, I'm not saying, but again, like the Sashita one, not because they're ethnically diverse. No. Well, like, even but Pierce Brosnan wasn't, like... No, even Pierce Brosnan, yeah. They're, yeah. All, they're all rubbish. Yeah. They're all rubbish. It's, so why is that a thing? That's it's just it's not enough. It, no. It's it's nothing. It's a non-factor. Yeah, I know that like yeah. superheroes. There's so many superheroes. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some like crossover with abilities or costume or whatever. But that like atom breaker, whatever he was called, mm. you know the one I'm on about, right? The one that like grows big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he really looked like Deadpool. Oh yeah, like his face. It was exactly like Deadpool. I know that like the color scheme was different on the outfit, but I was just looking at him going, "That's that's Deadpool." Yeah, it looks exactly like him, and it's animated exactly like him, and that character kind of felt like him without yeah, the fourth wall breaking stuff. Mommy. Yeah, I just um, I was so bored watching it. Mm. It was one of those things like when you're in the final fight sequence, final fight bit. Yeah, I was I was like putting myself in the shoes of the actors and think, God, if I had to, if I'd had to keep filming this, yeah. And it made me feel like it gave me a dread. Yeah. Like, Jesus, imagine if you had to just keep making this film. Yeah. Um, just how disposable they all feel as well. Just like, yeah. D- like yeah, Pierce Brosnan's in this. Plays like this guy who's got reality powers. I don't know. He can make gold shimmers appear, yeah, yeah. and he can see the future. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And he can go invisible and warp reality and do all this other mm. uh, bullshit. And, like, he comes face-to-face with a demon who can breathe fire, and I think that's it. And the demon is like, you are no match for me. And he's like, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> it's like, well, you just, like... Well, he obi-wans himself, doesn't he? He obi-wans yeah. himself, because he's like, oh, yeah, only Black Adam. It, like, Superman, yeah. no match for you. <laughs> Black Adam's the guy that we yeah. need. Like, really, in that situation where Black Adam is, like, trapped in that facility, yeah. it would be less convenient to call Superman. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're telling me? But it's just how shit, like, the new characters feel as well. Like, here's this Dr. Fake guy who's this uber-powerful being that can do all this crazy shit. He's no match for the fire demon. Do you know what? I just think we're done with it. I think, even as someone that never had much patience for it, at least, like, with She-Hulk and all these new characters, it's it's the same kind of thing, but different configurations. So, like, okay, a Hulk, blah, blah, you know, Thor story... But I kind of know those characters. Hmm. This, like, I've got to get to know all these new people. I'm like, oh, I just don't have time for it. I, just, I don't have the space in my head yeah. to I- integrate 
all these characters now. So I watched, as did you, a pirate copy mm. of the film. Now, it was a silent theatre in the copy I saw. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a silent theatre until Superman showed up. Yeah. And they cheered. Yeah. So there, was, there were no signs, audible signs of any approval, any way whatsoever. No. Throughout the entire film. But they'll take that breadcrumb. Yeah. That Superman's in it. Like, put aside my spiel about the infantilization of consumers, right? Mm. They'll take it and they'll be happy about it. Yeah. Our expectations are so low mm. and our culture is so fucked. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no laughing at any of the jokes, no applauding, which I hate anyway, but no applaud. But then Superman comes up the side like, woo! Yeah. Like, they, I, I would have guessed that you would just hated that film. <laughs> and he wrote, it's like they'll take anything. Yeah. They'll just take the, the shit that's spoon fed into their mouths. Mm. So that's my view of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say as well, it's just, it's, I hate these supervillain films that don't treat the villains like villains because there's so yeah, many yeah. of them now. Yeah. And it's like, I was watching this and like, there's supposed to be this like uh, central ambiguity around that character. So like whether he's a villain or a hero mm. and there's like, and obviously you've got like the Justice League, which are an overtly heroic team that are presented as antagonistic mm. because the people of Kratoa, what was it? Oh, I don't know. Kashmir? Where? What? The place. You ha- you read it out at the beginning of this review. Oh, Kondak. Kondak. Right. The that pe- was the place, was it? Was it? I don't know. I think I, so. I know, I know Eternium was the element. Yes. I, I think it was Kondak. Yeah. Okay. Kondak. Yeah. yeah, the people of Kondak don't like the superhero team. No. They're like Black Adam. Yeah, because he liberates them. He, liber- he kills the people that are, like, oppressing them. Yes. And the heroes are like, no, they should go to trial. Yeah. And the Kondak people are like, fuck you, yeah. murder's good. <laughs> Um, but there's like a whole conversation in it that the film just blatantly like skirts over because they, they they like I don't know who says it and who they're saying it to but they say like you're still chuckling why are you still chuckling there's <laughs> you with the fist going fuck you murder's good <laughs> yeah. but yeah they say like you know we've been oppressed and enslaved for generations Superman yeah. never showed up Batman never showed up Aquaman right. never showed up well, they're white aren't they well, Aquaman's not no yeah and Batman's rich, so what does he care? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, profiting yeah. off all of this anyway. Superman's probably. a globalist. <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah. Like, why did they never show up? Yeah. There is actually a conversation to be had there about, like... Are you saying they're, like, racist? Or they're... Not necessarily yeah. that, whether it's, like, a race thing. But, like, yeah. what is the jurisdiction of a superhero? And what uh... is... Um, and what constitutes a person needing saving? Like, yes, people mm. who are being enslaved and having their lands strip-mined could probably do with someone get, helping them out. Mm. But, like, as the film presents it, this is what a Kandak has been like for generations and generations. This is how that country operates. Yeah. So if Superman were to come in and get rid of all of the people that are doing the strip-mining and the oppressing and being like, hey, Kandak, you're now a democracy. Mm. Is he saving them, or is he like imposing a way of life of life on them that like he has no right to? Hi, this is Jordan speaking to you from the editing bay. Apologies for interrupting the episode. At this point, something happened to Sam's audio. We don't quite know what, but this like low hum just accompanied all of his audio. So there was nothing I could do about it in post, unfortunately. So for the next five minutes, I've just removed Sam's audio. You can still hear him fine, it's not a direct feed, so he sounds a bit quieter and a bit more distant than I do, 
but he's still very much present in the recording. Also, thankfully, we noticed the problem fairly quickly during the recording session, so it's only for the next five minutes. After that, we've got Sam's clean, direct feed back. So this is just sort of an acknowledgement, because it would feel weird not acknowledging five minutes of the episode that sounds completely different to everything else, but it is only for the next five minutes, so apologies for that. Um, I'll leave you to it. I think I told you I've been watching old Bill Maher. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in the... Uh, they're in Iraq. They've just gone into Iraq phase of history. Okay. So there's a lot of talk about can you force democracy on people that don't want democracy. Yeah. No, yeah, I think the thing with Watchmen is the, the Superman's real and he is American. Yeah. There, there is, like, an adult superhero thing to be done about, you know, can they go anywhere? Are they violating... When they f- he flies to Russia to do something, is he violating... Yeah. Na- like, boundaries... And yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of things that have done that, where it's like, mm. obviously the government is after the superhero because they don't work for the government and they're a threat to global order and all yeah. that kind of thing. But the, the, usually the superhero is meant to be above all that stuff, right? Mm. Like, um, except our Superman was meant to be, what is it? He protects something, something in the American way, or tr- truth, freedom in the American way. Yeah. Is that what it is? Justice. Truth, justice. Truth, justice in the American way. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff. I mean, they kind of they they deconstructed that in Watchmen. That mm. They have a Superman working for them, so he just in Vietnam he just fucking obliterates the enemy. And he, yeah, yeah, and there's a good thing to be done about that. I don't, this isn't the forum because it's like a a dumb. But why isn't it? Well, I just think it's too. It might be too complicated. If DC is like positioning itself as it kind of has in the past as the anti-Marvel. Yeah, the darker. Why is this not the correct forum for that discussion? No, yeah, fair enough. Why is this just another generic, mindless, head-thumpingly dull superhero film? Because I say that, I think think there is genuinely something interesting to be done about that. But equally, if there was a film about, oh, he's a white savior, it would annoy me. It would annoy me, but not even... It doesn't even have to be... I mean, maybe, like, there's no way of getting away from it. Yeah. And maybe if you're going to do that film well, you have to bring up race. Mm. But yeah, just that idea of like, what is Superman's jurisdiction? Do the conduct people even register as people that need saving? Because this has been their entire history. Mm. Should we impose a democracy on them? Should they yeah. inherit the, the, the system of government from the country surrounding them? Like, how do we save and them? And there's something like a superhero goes abroad and does something that has unforeseen consequences, like geopolitically. And- yeah. And even if Superman yeah. doesn't deal with the consequences yeah. of that, just like the the governments yeah, of the, the world ground, having to, that they're a menace, you know, yeah, like you know, executed badly. But the idea in Batman v Superman that the people on the ground, as the buildings are crumbling, yeah, um, and there's something to be said for like the government's like, right, this is opposition. You can't do this. And mm. Superman's like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, it's the right thing. I'm above all your petty politics. Does that then elevate superheroes to like a? a master race class that are like yeah. that don't care about what we want and it alienates us yeah there's a whole thing to be done about that. you could even like somehow you could you could sort of tie in the Amanda Waller thing where she kind of goes the reason that I have supervillain super teams is because it's just easier than dealing with heroes yeah because we superheroes don't know their place superheroes don't know their place villains do and, under my thumb yeah, yeah and they have we have plausible deniability if they ever fuck it up they're yeah, never going to look for us blow them up yeah Exactly. Yeah, it's, there's something, there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like but, the next Suicide Squad film should be, they have to go take down a superhero. Yeah. Rather than like a, you know, a, country, a Central American country. Yeah. Say it's Black Adam. Like, oh, Black Adam is like, it's bad press for us. 
Yeah. We want to go into Kandak and we want to impose democracy, but he's never going to allow it. Yeah. You are, you know, unofficially and off the radar, you're going to go in and kill him for America. Or a false flag operation. Like, we need you to kill Superman and make it look like blah, blah, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, yeah, there's stuff to be done there. They won't. No, they won't. <laughs> They'll just fucking make Black Adam 2 and Black Adam 3. Black Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Black Adam. <laughs> this time it's Black Adam. Black I don't know. This time it's Black Adam, but it was Black Adam before. I, I, my brain couldn't even work properly then. No, it's, it's awful and shit, and it's horrible, and I hate you yeah. for making me watch it. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't make you, Justin. Yeah, you suggested it. Yeah. And I hate you for that. Well, let's move on to Greener Pastures. Okay. The Banshees of Inner Sharon. See, I like you for making me watch this. Yes. Why couldn't you just make me watch this <laughs> twice? I'm glad you did that, though. I'm glad it, was, that it wasn't some bullshit about, like, oh, see, I'm glad I watched it. Because it was also my suggestion to watch Banshees. Yes. So I'm glad that you at least give me the credit. No, I'm, I'm making sure you get the credit you deserve. <laughs> Good and bad. Yeah. Okay. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> do we quickly do the plot. So it's about it's set on a remote Irish island, island off the coast of Ireland. Yes. In the nineteen twenties, during the Irish Civil War. Mm. So war has kind of broken out on the mainland, and it's about these two lifelong best friends, Porrig and Colm, played by Colin Farrell and Brandon Gleeson, respectively. Mm. And one day, Brandon Gleeson's character has no- wants nothing to do. <laughs> with Colin Farrell's character with Porrig they go to the pub every day he's like leave me alone I don't want you to talk to me anymore etc so Porrig's confused and he keeps trying to break the ice and figure I'm out what's so, going I, on I'm chuckling because I'm just remembering the film as you're describing it which is a good sign right where yeah, like yeah. you're just explaining what happens and I'm chuckling along yeah like, it's like oh yeah that I remember how that all played out and it kind of so there's this enigmatic kind of frostiness and then it, it builds to a point where Colm says to Porg, if you talk to me again, I'll cut off one of my fingers. Mm. And it all escalates from there. Mm. So we should say spoilers. Yes. Um, oh yeah, the experience of this film. We do, I don't want to spoil it. No, so seriously, don't listen to this if you haven't seen the film. And it's one of those films as well where, just like watching it, it's not really clear where it's going or where it's supposed it to go. It really isn't. It's truly original. Yeah. So th- this is a rare film where I think the most conversation you can have about it is what it meant. Mm. And that's an uncommon, wonderful treat, I think. And not in a abstract... Not a wanky way. What the fuck was all that about then? No. Like not with like Mad David God. Lynch. Or with Mad God. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, right, that probably meant something to someone. Yeah, but not I, just, I, I just don't know what it means yeah. objectively. No. It's, this, this, is, yeah, this is not one of those films. It's just like, it's one of those things where... It's layered and thematic. Yeah, 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 exactly. So before we get to the meaning, mm. let's break down the constituent elements. So the cinematography is gorgeous. Yes. They they had a good location. I know. But I know. they still shot it well. Yeah. yeah. And solid, no frills direction. Yes. It's just shot. Yeah. There's no like, oh, it's clearly a Martin McDonough film, you know. Yeah. So Martin McDonough wrote and directed it. I think we, we <laughs> yes. What else has he done, Sam? Uh, he did In Bruges. Oh, okay. Which obviously was Gleason and Farrell. They yes. did Seven Psychopaths. Mm-hmm. And then Three bill- Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So mm. this is his fourth feature film. He's a playwright originally, isn't he? He is a playwright originally. Yeah, he's, one of the best of his generation, what I hear. Apparently, um, yeah, he's an English playwright, obviously with Irish ancestry, but a lot of his plays are set in Ireland or deal with Irish mm. history or, char- you know, like Lieutenant of Inishmore and that kind of thing. The supporting cast is terrific. Yes. I would say particularly Carrie Condon, mm. who plays Porrig's sister. Mm. 
Kagan was great too. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't like been keeping up with the reception for this, so I don't mm. know who's getting recognition for what. Yeah. Is Carrie Condon getting the recognition she deserves? Or is focus being shifted more towards Keegan? Or Kagan, sorry. Yeah, I suppose um, I've heard more people talk about Kagan a bit, but that's it's a showier performance. Mm. But that's the point. It's yeah, she's it's not a showy performance from her. She has a moment. Yeah. Um, well, it's it, we're, we're kind of pre-award season, really. Mm. Like we're in we're in the part of the year where all the things are coming out, so everyone's being talked about to some extent. You know, the film certainly, the screenplay definitely. Farrell, Gleason, yeah, all all the cast are being talked about, and Kagan was great. All I can say negatively in a way and not for the film itself is it worries me about his portrayal of joker if that's still happening Mm. because it really works in this and i worry it it could go the direction of sasha dawan if it's joker yeah you know the manic laugh yeah pushing it too far yeah yeah. he also has my favorite line of the film which is fucking heartbreaking (laughs) Um, that's not the line no that's not the line he he hits on carrie con he's kind of in love with carrie condon's character Mm. And he says, would you ever, like, go out with someone like me? And she's like, no. Like, nicely, but no. He's like, oh, okay. There goes that dream, then. <laughs> it's just, like, fucking horrible. That's the thing. But like, I love it. This, I was surprised yeah. uh, in the pre-release of this film, because this film seems to be doing the mainstream circuit. Very strange. In terms of, like, it's doing Graham Norton, it's doing all the American chat shows. It even had its own, like... Sky Cinema slash E Entertainment, yeah, little ten minute hype show mm-hmm. that they released before the thing, the type of thing you tip- you typically see for Black Adam. It's like we sat down yeah. with Dwayne the Rock Johnson to talk about the new film Black Adam. It's great as well, and it had one of those, and it's like, and it's just like Colin Farrell and 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 Brendan Gleeson talking about like, oh yeah, it's about grief and heartbreak, <laughs> and like it's so the way well, that just... M- McDonough writes it's so magical. We sat down with Mal- McDonough. So you put a clip from the fi- like Black Adam's like. You know, and now for a special sneak peek of the movie. Yeah. And now for a special sneak peek of the movie. You're there, lad. <laughs> it's 30 seconds of silence, though. Yeah. I don't like it no more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's um, the thing, because, like, it, it was billed, it seemed to be billed as a comedy. Yeah. I showed my father the trailer yesterday, and he just, he laughed throughout the trailer. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, to the point where, like, my, my mother and my sister were interested to go and see the film. Yeah. And I was just worried thankfully they ended up enjoying it mm. but i was just worried that like people would it would be kind of like a drive situation where it's a good film but people were almost like missold on what yeah. to expect you, so they would go in and watch them go oh that was fucking shit that wasn't what i wanted you at kind all. of got a, the studio is and you can't blame them mm. it's you know it's their doing but you understand what like how do we sell yeah this you know i get it but it it it, it was like worrying at first yeah no i do yeah. think the film spends enough time sort of teetering towards comedy. Well, it is funny. That, that it's it's pulling it's pulled you in enough. Well, yeah, and it, it is funny. It That's is genuinely For funny. For all of the stuff, the, the deep things that we can say about it, yeah. it's very funny. It's genuinely funny. And those yeah. first, like, yeah, there's like a half an hour or however long it is where it's like, yeah, it feels like a comedy. Yeah. And then there's a moment where Colin Farrell gets punched in the face. Yes. And that marks almost like a tonal shift the other way. Yeah. It was like, oh, we're, like the comedy's still there. But now the dark shit's going to start yeah, it's happening. Kind of in Bruges when he talks about killing the kid. Yeah. You know. It's um, like, oh, this film is getting dark yeah, now. Getting dark. Yeah. So let's talk about the central duo. So Colin Farrell, I may have said on the podcast, is a very underrated actor, mm. I think. And he speaks so like thoughtfully and beautifully about the films he's in. Mm. Like really intelligently about the films he's in. 
Colin Farrell's Porig is incredibly sympathetic. Yes. I really related to him for personal reasons, but it's very much his film, isn't it? Again, another surprise. It's yeah. not the story of two friends. It's no. Colin Farrell's film. Yeah. yeah. In a sense, I would say Gleason is the weakest in the ensemble, but purely by dint of him being icy and remote and unlikable a lot of the time. Mm. So we, it, it kind of the film goes into why is he treating him like this? And, and that character is obviously, he's arrived at a point in his life where he realizes, I've got maybe 20 years left. I don't want to witter away every day, like listening to your dull stories. And uh, I just want to compose music and be on my own and like fuck off, basically. Mm. Um, It's kind of like an existential crisis. And that despair offers a bit of an olive branch to the viewer. Like, okay, I understand how you could get in that mindset. Mm. But I never lost sight of how misguided he was and how how cruel he was being as well. No, that's the thing. Like, Paul Rick's absolutely got a point when he's like calling him out on his bullshit, where he's like, you would rather share a pint with this guy who beats his child yeah. than me. And then that moment where that guy, like, he, that's the guy earlier in the film that knocks out Colin Farrell. Yes. Yeah. And Gleason because they are still... Because he doesn't hate him. No, he just doesn't want to have anything to he do with him. He doesn't want to have anything to do yeah. with him. But he's not, like, you know, it's not like he treats him like shit now. Because after no. seeing that, he sort of, like, helps Porrick up on his... Mm-hmm. Am I saying it right, Porrick? I think it's Porrick, yeah. Yeah, Porrick. Yeah. Helping him on his little cart and he sort of like takes him back to his side of the island because yeah. he's completely disorientated. But they don't chat during that no. drive. And I said to you, like, surely when you're in a circumstance where you've got nothing better to do mm. than to chat, he can go, all right, I'll chat well, with you. you know and yet he doesn't. Like, it, it, you do feel like that character yeah. is just like completely mishandling. And not the film, the character. The character, yeah. Is mishandling. At, at the it. Venice Film Festival, I hear Gleason talking about, like, oh, you know, I've had breakups in the past, like romantic breakups. Yeah. You know? And it, it's hard because you still, like, like the person. You still have fond feelings to the person. Mm. So you don't want to be cold to them. But then that may be like, um, that's interpreted as you still having feelings. Yes. It's kind of difficult. Um, yeah, it's like, in a way, and like I said, there's like, you take what you want from this film, like you put your own thing into it. Mm. But it, it does feel like it's something that you'd resent and certainly something I've resented. But it, you, it kind of makes sense as well in that like a, a goodbye is a breadcrumb. Mm. If someone's like, oh yeah, like really goodbye, you're like, Oh, they still like have. Yeah, there are still feelings there, whatever. And that's thing. Of course, that Colm is entitled to his peace if he wants it. Mm. But nonetheless, it's that self-regard of vanity and depression. When Farrell says, "Can he not just keep it to himself?" <laughs> um, it's funny, obviously, and it points to that character's like simplicity. Yeah, but he's kind of on the money. Yeah, it is like you're bringing your, you're affecting the world with your, you know. I your think Kermode said like. Turning your back, doing the cardinal sin, turning your back on nice mm. because you know you've realized the time is finite. And yeah, also, calm spiel about Mozart, and it's in the trailer. You know, who who remembers anyone for being nice? No one, you know, but we all remember Mozart's music. In any other film, that would be a righteous justification of his behavior. You mm. go, Oh, yes, he's the tortured artist, and this is what artists must do. Yeah, here it comes across as pretentious, insincere, and is correctly shot down yeah. by uh, Porig's sister. Yeah, so like Colm's aloofness and appeal to greatness rings hollow. Mm. But again, in the way I think the film wants it to. Yeah. It's cr- a critique of that. Um, I did, however, relate to his sense, especially as a writer, of the dread of wasting time. Yes. He's like, oh, I'm just, I'm running out of time. Like, when yeah. can I finish this thing? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, there are laugh-out moments all the way through. One of the the, the best line, other than that bleak line from Kagan, so Colin Farrell, <laughs> um, he, he has a donkey. Yeah, yeah. He always has animals in the house. Yeah. And it's just like, fucking put the animals outside. That's <laughs> the thing when Gleason kicks off. She's like, put the donkey outside. Like, I'm not putting the donkey outside when I'm sad. <laughs> that's so great. No, that's the thing. It is genuinely like... Yeah. It, it's like darkly comedic. Yeah. Um, obviously because of the the, what it, the subject that it's dealing with. But yeah, it's just, it is just like... Well, it, like... He, it's not afraid of having like a... Like a comedic bantery scene yeah in a moment as well it turns like I forgot because um, we went to see it in the cinema and I forgot until I rewatched the trailer um, you know with the scene when he's drunk and talking to Colm and Colm says the thing about Mozart and he goes you know but everyone's here to Mozart and he goes well I haven't so that shoots that theory out the way. Yeah. that's funny but that's like hot on the heels of um, oh talking to me now are you yeah it's like oh Jesus you know like it really knows yeah, how yeah, yeah. to play with the tone yeah, I like that Gleason wasn't a total bastard to him. Hmm. Like, he seemed remorseful at points. And I thought it was interesting because when we watched it, there were moments where you tittered. Mm. And I just took it at face value, like, heartbreakingly sad. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, is he in comedy mode? And so, but then when we left, you said, oh, no, I felt that as well. It was, like, uncomfortable. Yeah. It was discomfort, like, when he just starts crying. That's the thing. When, yeah. when um, Brennan Gleason is bringing him home on the, the horse cart. Yeah. And Colin Farrell's sort of like his faculties are returning. Yeah. And he sees his best friend yeah. giving him a ride home and he knows he can't speak to him. And yeah. He just breaks down. Yeah. And it's horrible. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think that's why I ended up laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I have to, I, I don't know. Yeah, push it away. Yeah, yeah. I have to reject the horrible feelings that I feel. I, I don't know if this is just me. Mm. I think it's absolutely right to, to, to say that this is a film about a breakup. Even though this yes. is two best friends, I feel like calling it a film that charts a breakup mm-hmm. is like, that's the kind of, the key, I suppose. The key to cracking the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The key to kind of like understanding this film is it's a story about a breakup, mm-hmm. but with two best friends. Yeah. Rather than it being a couple. Yeah, I think it, it, that's the through line. It's mm-hmm. okay. If, if you're not tapping into any of the other things that are going on, yeah. the way you understand it, it's a breakup movie. Like yeah. that's the most surface yeah, that, the, mo- the most surface is what's happening, you know. Like yeah, exactly. Friends. But yeah, the easiest thing to say, oh, it's like a, it's like when you, your girlfriend breaks up with yeah. you. Yeah, well, it gives you know. the scenes. The scenes make sense. They make more sense, and, and it does follow when you look at it through that prism. Yeah, and it does follow the trajectory. Yes, of a, in the sense of like it's denial and trying to figure out why you aren't talking to me. Yeah, and then oh, maybe she wants me to be a dick. Okay, I'll start acting like a dick. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, the film is about the end of a relationship. But I would say, yeah, for me. It's more tragic the fact that they're friends than if they yeah. were a couple, and I don't know what it is. It just it feels more well I horrible. Think it, I think it's because it feels more arbitrary. Like love is a very delicate concoction, and falling out of love with somebody can happen for a variety of reasons. Yeah, but it's something we all kind of universally understand the tragedy of it. Mm. When a friend, when you haven't done anything to a friend, yeah. It's like yeah. love is so fragile that like I just don't love you anymore. It's just like I don't know what happened. No, absolutely. I woke up and didn't love you. But like me waking up and going, I just don't want to be friends with Jordan anymore. Mm. It'd be why? Where yeah. the hell did that come from? Exactly. Like, yeah. Friendship feels a lot safer, a lot yes. tighter. Yes. You don't just stop being friends with someone. You, that builds up, and this yeah. didn't build up for him. As far as yeah. Colin, uh, Colin Farrell was concerned, yeah, he just he just turned up to his best friend's house one day and told him to fuck off. Yeah, it's horrible. so horrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's about the end of a relationship. How that calluses people. 
and yeah, like trying out being nasty. Mm. But I like that Porg is so fundamentally decent; he's incapable of maintaining <laughs> the facade. Just the way he's written. I love the way that character is fantastic. Written. Because like, simple, but not that's an the idiot. thing. Yeah. Like Gleason insults him at one point, casually insults him by yeah. calling him a limited man. Yeah. But he he's he is right. Colin Farrell. There are limitations to what Colin Farrell can understand mm-hmm. or say or do. Like that character isn't. He's not an uber intelligent character, mm-hmm. but he's not an idiot. He's no, not yeah, he's like limited. An idiot. He's limited. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't feel like a stupid character, and yet he doesn't no. also feel like he's this kind of authorial, authorial stand-in character. Yes. No, it, he's just a nice guy, a nice feels, simple guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it feels so authentic. That really doesn't want much out. Like he wants his mate. That's really all he wants yeah. out of life. You know. Yeah. I like that they never. There are characters that are pining, and like you know, some people that want to leave, and I want to see the city and. Kagan's in love with Carrie Condon, all this stuff. I love the Colin Farrell, like his bachelorhood is never really mm. brought up. It's you could just kind of like take it. As, yeah, he just doesn't want that. He's, he's found he's his, his place in life. He's got his mate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's got his he's got his pony. <laughs> yeah, he's, and got, he's got his best yeah. friend, and he's got his sister. I mean, and the film a... takes everything <laughs> away from him. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it had to be set in the conditions it was. Absolutely. Like yeah. I kept thinking that. It would be impossible in a modern day or a city, but it might actually even be worse in a modern context because when you're blocked in 2022, you are truly blocked. Mm. There's no bumping into if they don't want to, you know. Yeah, there there was a novelty and people having to avoid each other in impossible circumstances Mm. and people just sitting in a pub. Yes, just doing nothing. Yeah, just drinking for hours. Again, the fucking hypocrisy of that. Where Colm's like, "Oh, I'm just wasting time talking to you," and he's still in the pub every night. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, it's also about art itself yeah. and the selfishness of that, mm. um, whether anguish is necessary, you know, the literal self-destruction of him cutting his own fingers off. Yeah. The whole thing has biblical or fairy tale overtones, the feeling of like an allegory or a parable, mm. especially with that self-mutilation and the donkey. I didn't expect a clear-cut answer for, uh, in a Martin McDonough film, and I'm glad there wasn't one. There was just this creeping despair. Um, <laughs> but I, I liked its crypticism. But like you said earlier, it's it, it's neither deliberately confounding nor impenetrable. You just leave with some things to figure out. Yeah, there are elements that complicate your impression of what's happening. That central through line of oh, it's about a breakup. There's there's the supernatural dimension to it. Mm. The kind of supernatural dimension where there could also equally not be a supernatural not be dimension. Yeah, yeah, like the meaning of the banshees of Inner Sharon, which is the film's authorial moments. Like I like the sound of the yeah. Sh- you know the banshees of Inner Sharon, yeah, um, and sh- tying into the theme of shut the fuck up. I think I think even Colin Farrell says plenty of sh on Inner Sharon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, you know, and and th- th- so this idea that uh, Colin has this idea the banshees, you know, they used to wail for people mm. and cry for people, and now they just sit and watch, amused, and, amused. And there's this character in the film that's essentially death. This yeah. old woman. Yeah, there's a lingering sense that something is happening above. The film begins and ends in the clouds, doesn't it? Yeah, literally looking down on the entire yeah. island. That's so high up that you could see the clouds hanging over that island yeah. as well, like a UFO in fo- Yeah, like nope. Yeah. yeah. At the end, when all the animals are in Porrick's house, so this is when he's lost his sister, he's lost everything, crying for her to come back. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Please come back, Shabon. <laughs> It alludes both to his sadness, obviously, because, you know, yeah. the donkey's not going outside when I'm sad. Yeah. But the thing I thought, and we talked about this, there's that quote, if you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. 
and this idea that Porig's been corrupted, but like his niceness has been corrupted mm. by the or compromised at least by the events of the film. Uh, I think I think the mirror uh, yeah. like strengthens that theory as yeah. well when he smashes that proper jump scare for everyone in the it cinema. It was yeah yeah. I, Jesus, I like I spoke yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw an interview with McDonough where he talked about the finger-cutting construct not being planned. And that's fucking ridiculous. He's a liar. They're all liars. <laughs> Him, Vince Gilligan, <laughs> Peter Gould, they're all fucking liars. I know. He just wrote the scene in the pub and it came out. No. It's just like that. No, he didn't. He no. planned it for years. It's the only way it could be allowed. But we talked about this. Like, however far back you want to break it down, eventually, that's what it's always going to be. A moment that just, oh, maybe he says he cuts his finger. Like... It arrives in that way, you know what mm. I mean? Whether you're writing it or not. To me, it highlights the merits of the David Milch, the Milchian procedure of writing. But you don't have an outline. You just mm. write and you see what happens. And I think you can feel that in the film too. Um, like you don't know where it's going. You have these encounters between the men in the day mm. and then the nights to reflect on what's happening. Yeah. And the next day could bring anything, mm. you know? And you feel that, ooh, what's going to happen next for the whole film? The unfolding civil war happening off screen, these occasional explosions on the horizon. I would say it's the parallel, obviously, the duo's microcosmic civil war, brothers fighting, mm. to suggest that dimension of otherness, that there's something else happening somewhere, you know, someone's yeah. watching, or, and as an incitement to the film's closing thought, which was pretty much my favourite part of the film. Mm. So yeah, after all this stuff has happened, so Colin Farrell's donkey Jenny has choked... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> a choke to death on Colm's severed finger. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so Colin Farrell vows to burn down Brendan Gleeson's house yeah. with him inside it or not. Well, he says, I won't be checking. I won't be checking. And then yeah. when he's burning it down, he sees that, that Brendan Gleeson is indeed inside the yes. house. Yes. But then he I, later leaves the house. Yeah. And the final scene is an encounter between the two men on a beach. Yeah. And uh, Colin Farrell says to Brendan Gleeson, some things you don't get past... And I think that's a good thing. It's all like that's that's the wisdom, the lesson he's learned over the course of the film. Mm. Now you can take that to mean the suggestion of an acrimonious eternal feud yeah. between the two men. That while there's humanity left, Porig's been truly hardened. You can also take it to refer to the Civil War, that the differences between both sides are so great there's no going back and will lead to a path of mutually assured destruction. Because at the end, when they're on the beach, the fighting seems to be dying down yeah. on the mainland, as it does between the two men. Mm. But if you know anything about Irish history, you know it's going to fire up again. Yes. Um, it's absurdly comic and fucking heartbreaking at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think Colm's demeanour at the end might well suggest that he's found meaning and dark beauty. He's been entertained like he wanted, mm. but at the cost of everything, including the ability to create art. Yeah. He's cut his fingers well, off. Well, this is, this is what's so great about it, yeah. is that it, like... It presents you with a moment and you go, oh, there are multiple ways that that could be interpreted. 100%. Like, in that moment, it's like uh, Brendan Gleeson's finally seen, like, okay, I've done some damage here. Mm-hmm. You know, Colin Farrell's reaction, it's a bad reaction. He's clearly not okay with yeah, everything yeah. that's happened. Yeah. I'll kind of be nice to him because he does make idle chit-chat with him, yeah. which is the one thing that he never wanted. Yeah. And then when Colin Farrell leaves... Brendan Gleeson just starts kind of like humming to himself. Yes. On the beach. I was like, right. Okay. So is that because... Because I think he's humming The Banshees of Sharon, which is the song he's been composing throughout the film. Is that him finally getting what he wants in the sense that he's been left alone with his music? Mm -hmm. And so he's kind of reveling in the fact that he's been left alone with his music? Or is that a tragic moment because he's got that silence that he's been seeking for the entire film? And he's now desperately trying to fill that silence. I think it's... By humming. 
you know. I think it's both. I think it's a reflection that he has been entertained. Mm. And so he's like humming merrily away. But he can't play it. Yeah. He can only hum it now. Yeah. It's that thing. There's no glory in self-destruction of your art that you burn everything around you for the sake of getting where you want to go. And then everything around you is burnt. Mm. You know, there's nowhere to go. The pursuit becomes meaningless, if not impossible. You know, the whole scorched earth thing. Yeah. Uh, but my interpretation, and this is, like you said, what I like about it, because there, there's so many interpretations you have, and I'm pretty sure, like, very few people are going to have my interpretation of it. Okay. Like, if I said it to the director, even, it might be like, eh. <laughs> It's just what I got from it. I, I, you know, I think it's valid. It's about carrying the meaning of a failed relationship with you. That it's a betrayal to move past it completely. You go, oh, when, yeah. When he it. says... When he says um, some things you don't get over, okay. and I think that's a good thing. Whether you agree with that sentiment or find it cynical, not to say unhealthy, that was my take. And the fact that afterwards, Brandon Gleeson thanks him for looking after his dog. And he says, oh, anytime, you know. Mm. It's like, there's, there is love lost between yeah. the two men. I can see that my relationship to the film, what I got from it might change over time, which is another beautiful element about it. Mm. Yeah, but I think it's, it's about that. It's about, you know what, our friendship, we were friends our whole lives I'm not just going to get over it. Yeah. I'm not going to get past it. And that's fine because it meant something. Mm. So that's what I took from it. Yeah. It's one of those rare films that percolates and improves in your mind the more distance you have from it, I think. And I would say In Bruges is more entertaining, more mm. outward, you know, more obviously entertaining. But this is a superior film. Yes. I think it's McDonough's best and it's the best film of the year. Bold statement. Yeah. He, may, he, may, he, he said it, folks. <laughs> That's I do. I think it's the best film of the year. It, it just ticks all of my boxes. Mm. It's yeah. pretty. It's pretty undeniable. Even if it's not. Even if it doesn't end up being my best yeah. film of the year. Like it's a solid, solid outing. You know. Yeah, and we talked before, didn't we, about like it has an archetypal, as original as it is, it has an archetypal, allegorical feeling to it. Mm. But when you watch it, you go, why did it take so long for this film to exist? If if Martin McDonough had said this is based on like a twelfth century Irish folk tale, yeah. I'd absolutely believe him. 100%. It does. It just has a timeless quality about it. Not just because of like when it was set. Yeah. Where it was set. The themes and the... Yeah, yeah just everything about it feels so... Yeah, it's like a Bible story almost. Yeah, it's like it took, it took us this long, it took culture this long to produce this film. It, yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I loved it. I really loved it. Mm. Yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch it. Yeah, watch it. And if you saw was... it already, watch it again. Yeah, you've seen it twice, you lucky bastard. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. Yeah, it was, yeah, good, yeah. good, good, no. Hopefully good. Yeah. Haven't seen some of them. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Bad. Bad. Great. <laughs> In summary. In summary. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's been a mixed bag, yeah. It's been all right, yeah. some of it. Okay. Uh, I think that's everything, isn't it? That's what I got, yeah. All right. Then we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.